0: Hey, hey hey, pop culture Deo. I'm Jeff Wright, and I've got Jared Moore with me. This time around, we're reviewing the Peanut Butter Falcon, and we have brought in a ringer, our good buddy Mike Dickerson, uh, one of these guys who grew up in the same town as me. And Jared was kind enough to be our friend. Super sharp guy, has done everything in the world for the church. He's led music, he's pastored, he's preached, he's done it all. Uh, Mike, thanks for being with us, and how are you doing this evening?
1: I am doing good, man. It's a privilege to be here. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Uh, Listeners, you may not know, but Mike was one of the first guys that Jared and I reached out to for feedback when we launched this old podcast. He helped us vet the intro music and all kinds of good stuff. So uh, Mike's been important to the podcast long before we brought him on. Uh, Mike, I mentioned you've done everything in the world. Uh, Could you tell our listeners what your current vocational life is? What's your current title in the church? What else are you up to?
1: Yeah. So I'm at uh, Cedar Hill uh, Baptist Church in Baxter, Tennessee. And I'm the associate pastor there. Been there almost five years. Uh, And I'm bivocational. I also work at Averitt, which is a trucking company. I do IT stuff for them. I manage their uh, email and Office 365 stuff. So that's kind of my day job. And my, of course, you know, pastors only work on the weekends. So
0: I feel
1: well there. So uh, anyway, but that's, uh, that's what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, I've got it basically down to just the time I preach now. That's all I do. That's the goal, right? That's yeah. the dream. Right exactly. There. Speaking of the dream, speaking of the goal, Jared Moore, how are you, man? I'm doing okay. I'm uh grading a lot of papers for are Southern.
2: You? Yeah. It's uh I need to be finishing up. Um I'm behind a little bit and I'm enjoying it though, man. There's a lot of a lot of sharp students. Are there
0: any dull ones? <laughs> No. <laughs> you just give good grades, right? You just write affirming things?
2: I give I'm pretty I pretty stringent, but I don't know. I try to be I try to be gracious too. I, I when you when I man, I they've gotten a lot easier, I think, on grading since whenever I first started there. Um I think it because we had no rubric and so you'd get this PhD student, you know, PhD students are always trying to kind of carve out their way. And so they're they're so rigorous, (laughs) and I mean they would they would rip my papers apart every time I wrote one. Um, Anyway, it's a miracle that I finished that PhD program. But
0: um, (laughs) that's not your approach, though, right? Your way is to be a warm, nurturing blanket of academic comfort, right? You just Uh, good point, good point, sir. Good point. Well said.
2: I try to critique a lot and then offer a few comments positive, but uh, there's so many papers to grade that it's hard to. You know, it's hard to do as much as I want, but but anyway, I'm enjoying it. It keeps me fresh for theology and um I need to keep my foot in that world, you know, a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you do, buddy. We'll talk about that more later. Um, uh, but before we get to your thoughts on some uh recent denominational developments, we should get into our first segment, which is called
2: What you option? What you option? What's you option?
0: and uh jared i'll let you go and then our guest can tell us what you guys have been watching so what have you been watching jared more other than these grades on these papers going down the tubes
2: um my kids were watching just a few minutes ago of the lost world jurassic park Yep, and i enjoyed that one much more than uh the second one which had a stupid ending (laughs) but um but no i thought that was a good movie i it's funny, you know. We're looking at some of the parts, and and some Jurassic Park, some of the first ones. You know, that was one of the first CG movies that was really good. You know, mm-hmm. and uh you know, people, you remember sitting in the the movie theater and pulling your legs up because the dinosaur's going to
0: jump and get you. That was um, just you, Jared. That that was that wasn't all the rest of us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Whatever, man. Whatever.
0: Jared, you're talking
1: my language there, man. Jurassic Park, the first one, is in my all-time top five. All time,
2: oh, wow. Hey, Cher, sure. Let's do a segue a little bit, Jeff.
1: And uh, could you you got those on hand, Mike? Uh, I don't know. I, I just know I have a couple that fall in there for sure. Number one is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Okay. It's the third third movie in the series, but I think the best one, which is rare, right? First, Jurassic Park uh, is in there as well. Um, man, whew, I'd have to think about it for a minute.
0: Those uh, are two bangers uh, I don't, to start man, with. I had them all,
1: but yeah. By the way, Lost World is the second one. So I think you're talking about the third one that had the terrible ending, Jurassic Park 3. Oh, okay. Which is universally hated. <laughs> uh, and it, it held the crown as worst Jurassic Park until this Fallen Kingdom. Uh, gave it a run for its money, but
0: on that note, I was surprised to hear you not come out with crystal skull. When you started talking about Indiana Jones, (laughs) Mm. Mm. you mean the fourth best one? (laughs) (laughs) It's gotta be somewhere behind the young Indiana Jones chronicles. My, uh,
2: my children. Um, so I've let them watch the Indiana Jones stuff, but you know, I'll fast forward it through parts and I was going to put on the writer, uh, Yeah, the Raiders of the Lost Ark the other night. And the kids were like, oh, we watched this at Granny's. Their faces melt off.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. I Uh, I have that same experience. My mom would be like, eh, it's edited for TV. It'll be fine. And my kids come home and won't sleep for a month. (laughs) That's cool, Mom. It's funny because just yesterday
1: I watched um, Jurassic uh Indiana Jones, and The Last Crusade with my oldest son, who's seven. And I was kind of going back and forth, and I did have to skip through two or three different scenes. But it's actually not, I mean, there's not a lot in it. Uh, there's some, you know, instances where they take God's name in vain, which he's well aware, you know, how to react to that and all that. But um, but I, I think I had to skip it maybe twice. And then there's kind of a scary you know, scene at the end there um, that he was fine with. But, uh, but yeah, so I actually i had been like waiting uh, It's like a you know, important father son moment to watch that movie. And and he watched it. And I was like, what do you think, man? He was like, it was OK. Oh, about crushed. It about crushed me. Yeah, it about crushed me. Hey, uh, Mike, uh, I got two questions. The uh,
2: so my seven year old, when he watches movies, he is like the cuss word police. He remembers every cuss word like he points it out He and, and says, Daddy, they said and he doesn't say it. But
1: does does your kid do that? Yes. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I mean, we've told him, you know, I mean, he'll we'll see like random, I mean, we'll be like at the grocery store and somebody will come up and talk to us, you know, and they'll say, you know, like, oh my God or something. He'll go, don't say. I mean, he'll just lay into him about that. So we've had to try to tell him about, but even, oh my gosh, like my mom will say, oh my gosh. And he will flip at that and, you know, flip at any, any usage. So yeah, he is. (laughs) He is the cuss word police in fact I, I feel bad but I'm like hey man you gotta calm down a little bit on the <laughs> like it's okay some <laughs> you know what I mean like just <laughs> back off a little if, if you meet a stranger and they say oh my gosh you don't have to tear him down but anyway <laughs> that makes me feel better so it's, it's an age
2: thing <laughs>
0: uh, I, I mean they, remember really <laughs> they can't do they can't do abstract thinking like particularly with the boys that part of their brain hasn't grown yet you know And so it is a it's a black and white kind of thing, which I'm okay with. I I actually think that's a good that's a good default. Like my kids do a version of what y'all are talking about as well. I've also run into kind of the embarrassment of it happening outside of our household. But I think it's a good thing for kids to start with a really clear moral, you know, framework. And then Mm -hmm. as they grow, they can start adding nuance and qualification. You know what I mean? Uh, it seems like culturally we've lost the ability to say that's good and that's bad. So it's a good thing for me as as your friend to hear that about your kids. I, I also just think that it, it, it's it's something that's lost. I think we're grooming kids to be morally ambiguous too young now. Like it matters if wolves are good guys or bad guys. It matters if dragons are good guys or bad guys in my mind. Because you kind of want to help them orient to certain moral realities, I guess. And then as they get older, you can be like, well, here's, here's how you qualify that. Here's how you discern between like what's most important and what's least important. Uh, I'm encouraged to hear you guys talking, I guess is what I'm trying to say. That's, that's the short version of my ramble there.
2: Yeah. There was another question I was going to ask. Um, Oh, I can't remember what it was though. Um, mm, might have to come back to it.
0: Yeah, man, you're getting old and you're grading too many papers. There's only so much RAM available. That's true. I do feel like I'm running out
2: of RAM, man. I need a
0: I don't know an upgrade or something. Yep. I feel that. So Mike D, what about you, man? What have you been watching these recent days? I uh I just watched a movie called Tread. Have you
1: guys seen that or heard of that?
0: Tread, tread like on the bottom of a tire. Yes, exactly. Okay. No, I haven't heard that. Uh, no,
1: it's brand new out, and um, it was. Uh, it's about this guy, and it's a true story that got real mad. Y'all may remember it was back in 2004 or 2005. He basically got really mad at his community because they wouldn't do what he wanted to do. And he built, took a huge bulldozer, oh. spent like a year making it into a tank. Yeah, yeah the and killdozer. Like destroyed the town.
0: I'm yeah, yeah. very so, aware of the killdozer story. I didn't know there was a movie.
1: Yeah, this is a documentary. And what's crazy is he recorded um, like some tapes before he did it. And so they have his voice um, describing why he was doing it and, you know, all this stuff. And then, of course, they interview everybody in the town about why he did it and, you know, and it's it's kind of cr- I mean it's crazy uh, you know there's some there's some language in it but other than that um, but it's uh, it was I thought it was really interesting I mean it's a documentary so um, it's framed that way but they have a lot of you know real footage of it and uh, talk about him a lot and uh, it's kind of polarizing because a lot of people that knew him and loved him really talk him up you know and say he was treated unfairly and then. The more he talks, the more you're like, uh, it's this guy's crazy, you know, um, but but he just felt marginalized. That's what it was. I mean, it was like the tiniest stuff, you know, I'll let you watch it. But it's just like, you know, they won't approve his sewer permit or something, you know, just this little stuff that built up. And then he's just like. That's it, man. I'm I'm done. Uh and uh really interesting. Uh I enjoyed it. Wife and I watched it. We both enjoyed it.
0: I'm writing that down right now. What what platform did you uh did you watch that on?
1: I think it's on I have several, I'm but I think I think that one's an Apple TV production. I was trying to look it up just now, but I think it's an Apple TV. Dude, I'm thing. checking that out. Um Yeah. And then um trying to think, have you guys not that I I mean, haven't listened to every single episode from start to finish, yeah. but...
0: Thanks. Did, Thanks for that. Have you
1: guys talked about... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have listened to most, but uh, I rewatched Knives Out the other night, which is like one of my favorite movies of last year. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought it was crazy that it wasn't in the discussion for an Oscar. It seemed like it was Oscar-y material, but... Uh, But anyway, I rewatched it and it's amazing because it's kind of like a, you know, reveal it at the end type thing. But since it'd been several months since I'd seen it. I was watching, and there were some things I remember, but other things I was kind of surprised all over again, which I thought was pretty cool for a movie like that. So I just thought that one's really well done, and enjoyed rewatching that one. I, I'm not a big rewatcher. I won't, other than like my all time faves. I don't watch stuff more than once. Um, so it's kind of rare for me to watch things multiple times. It has to be pretty good for me to do that. With just there's just so much out there, so
0: well as as someone who has listened to you know all of our episodes you probably already know that I think Ryan Johnson murdered the the last Jedi and so I have a hard time with that guy but that movie convinced me that I think Ryan just needs to work on original stories because he can tell really compelling stuff if he's not having to work within a, an existing framework that people have strong opinions on and so it, it was kind of I guess I would say I have a low view of him as a creator, and that movie raised it significantly. I, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that, that's probably my best summary on that. You know what's weird? I love The Last Jedi. All right, this I episode's love. over. Get out. We're done. <laughs> I, I
1: really did. I mean, I, I went into it kind of unsure, and, you know, I'd heard some negative and stuff like that. I, I mean, there were some things I didn't like, but I don't, Star Wars, none of the Star Wars movies to me are without faults you know i mean i just whether it's cheesy george lucas jokes or whatever but i actually really enjoyed it i have not rewatched it i did see that one actually in the theater which is pretty rare that we get to the theater but i saw that in the theater and i don't know i really enjoyed it i didn't really get all the hate for it honestly but i'm not a huge star wars fan though so i gotta say that
0: well listener here it is you you've just heard the sounds of a friendship dying it's over and (laughs) done with glad you could be with us for this (laughs) Uh, yeah, so what I would say, just to help you from my psychotic inside perspective as a diehard Star Wars guy, I feel about The Last Jedi the way I'm assuming that Indiana Jones diehards feel about the Crystal Skull. Uh, I just feel like it's uh, it just doesn't even belong. So anyway, I'm not going to get on that rant again. Uh, I will tell you this, though, going back to Tread. In in my, you know, I we try not to be very political on this, but I have a, a definite political perspective. And it it kind of creeps me out that in some of my political pers- uh, circles, like websites I read and, and groups I visit, uh, on the anniversary of that dude who built the Killdozer's death, there will start being all these memes celebrating him as a hero. It probably tells you all you need to know about my yeah. politics. But it does weird yeah. me out. I'm like, man... Uh, you know, I, I know there was a permit issue with this, I think, muffler shop or whatever. But like, I don't know, dude, you can't just you can't make a tank out of your bulldozer and go destroy your town. Well, and I'll say when you watch the movie, you
1: lose like they spend the first part of the movie trying to give give him some goodwill. And when you see it happening, you know, and you think about it like it wasn't even just businesses like he targeted homes. And if they hadn't, you know, called somebody, he would have basically crushed an old lady. Oh, wow. uh, <laughs> you know, if they hadn't got her out. So, I mean, you start to lose your, I think if you watch it, you know, I mean, if you're going to defend that, you'd have to defend about any type of vigilante justice that's out there. But, um, but I do want to say before my record gets tarnished forever that I did think the last Jedi was the worst of the three new newest ones. Uh, but I just, I didn't hate it as much as everybody did. I thought it was enjoyable. So that's, uh,
0: that's the last thing I'll say on that. All right. Well, when we go to friendship counseling, maybe we can build on that. Uh, anything that you guys are watching that you'd, uh, that you'd highlight? All right. Well, I'll throw my hat uh, in the ring here. On Amazon Prime right now, for no additional cost, there is a movie called My Friend Dahmer. Yeah, it's about the early years of Jeffrey Dahmer. And it's based on a graphic novel written by a guy who went to school with Jeffrey Dahmer. And it... It leads up to, it doesn't show any of this on screen, it leads up to Jeffrey Dahmer first, uh, him meeting his first victim. And it is a super well done movie. It is well acted. It presents Jeffrey Dahmer as a guy who, he's not a victim of his circumstances. But you also see that there were a lot of forces pushing him towards bad choices that he did not rise above. And, again, the acting is, is super well done. And so if you're ever interested in watching a movie that's rooted in true crime, uh, but you don't have to go through the gore and guts and blood, let me just throw my friend Dahmer in your hopper. I think that's a, it's an interesting film. Any, any of y'all hmm. seen that? I have not. Did you want to add I have not, yeah. you freak, <laughs> to that, Jerry? <laughs>
1: Well, it did. Ju- it did just sound like you were saying, "I would like for you all to check out my friend Dahmer." Uh, which wasn't a, Wasn't a good look?
0: Yeah, I definitely did say that. I, of course, I don't want to come anywhere near condoning anything Jeffrey Dahmer did. Uh, but I, you know, one of my favorite things to do after I see some kind of biopic is just start checking to see what's historically accurate and inaccurate. And it looks like they they handled his real life, his early years, uh, pretty faithfully. And so. Again, I'm not coming out looking to, like, humanize the monster, but I thought I thought the cast did a great job, and I thought it just left me thinking that some people are not going to make it out of a fallen world. They're just absolutely—they they can't survive, and apart from the Lord's grace, it's a wonder that any, any do. So I know mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a bleak sell on the movie, but it's really well done. I mean, it's bleak, but it's really well done, so— I saw something
1: years ago about the It was obviously this one it was some sort of documentary or something. Am I remembering right that he uh, that they some police officers were called to a domestic dispute with him and they let him go yeah. because they felt awkward? And then yep. he proceeded to go on. That's whew, that's one of those uh, moment in time type situations. Yeah. That's, oh, man, terrible to think about that.
0: Yeah, fun fact, I think that Jeremy Renner got his film debut doing a, a Dahmer uh biopic. And it's it's old, but it's pretty historically accurate. And they capture that scene. It's in the trailer. If you go look up the uh the Dahmer film that, that Jeremy Renner's in, I think it's just called Dahmer. And I don't you know, I don't want to freak anybody out, but what happened, Mike, is he had um he had lured This very young kid, basically, I think maybe the kid was 14 into his apartment. He had drilled a hole in the kid's head and poured acid in there to try to uh, to debilitate the guy so that he would be alive, but he would have no will.
2: Oh, my God.
0: Yeah. And he goes to like the Dahmer goes to the grocery store and comes back. And the guy is out. The kid is out in the street talking to three ladies And Jeffrey Dahmer shows up and is like, nah, it's my boyfriend. He's just, we've been doing some drugs or drinking. I can't remember what it was. And these ladies are like, no, no, that doesn't explain this. They call the cops. The cops basically put the kid back in Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment and say, we don't want no more trouble out of y'all. And uh, that's how it happens. Wow. That's that's terrible. It's uh, it's horrifying. Yeah. None of that's in my friend Dahmer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. None of that's in there. So you know a lot about Jeffrey Dahmer. I have a morbid interest. I think I inherited it from my mom, but I have a morbid interest in true crime. It's why I know about the Kill It's why I know about Jeffrey Dahmer. I, I do read and listen and watch a lot of stuff on true crime. I, I'm guilty. That's cool. Yeah. I don't know, man. You, you, there's some things you eventually read, and you're like, I I can't unread that. I can't unhear that. You know, but. That all started with a much better movie that doesn't get into that gruesomeness. Uh, it, it gets into basically fallen world realities that make you very thankful that the Lord chose to show you grace rather than kind of let, let you have what you and your circumstances deserve. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen anything else, man. I, I, we spent so much time watching The Last Dance that uh, I really haven't. I haven't watched a ton of stuff. Yeah, I've spent
2: so much time watching and recording for that thing that I <laughs> hadn't had much time to do anything else. Yeah.
1: I, I enjoy I know y'all talked about it a lot, but I did enjoy The Last Dance, especially how they portrayed uh, Scotty Pippen as such a bad guy,
0: which I think was accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Mike really is trying to pick a fight with me. Have y'all seen, have y'all seen that Pippen is salty about the documentary and is is uh, yeah. really upset? Here's the thing. I'm never going to be critical of Pippen, but I just – I thought he looked good in the documentary.
1: Yeah, I actually agree. I didn't – I was kind of kidding. I I mean, it portrayed some things that are seen as negative that he did. I know you all discussed that, but – but I didn't think it made him look bad. And I thought Jordan, he maybe said one thing like Pippa knew better than that, you know, or something, but it wasn't by any means him getting bashed or anything in my opinion. But, uh, did you see that? Uh, I think it's, is it Sam Smith that wrote that Jordan rules book? Yeah. He also him. came out and basically said some of the things Jordan said were a lie. I don't know if y'all talked about that or not. I haven't heard those. I haven't heard episodes nine and 10 that y'all recorded yet, but, um, he came out and, basically said some of the things Jordan said just are not true. Mm. So thought that was
0: interesting. Yeah. No, I did not see that. I So I had bought the Jordan rules when I was a kid, and my only reaction was, you know, how dare you? And Terry, yeah. a couple of years ago, sent it to me as a gift, and I, I had forgotten I'd read it till I started reading it again. And by that point, Sam Smith is working for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, and yeah. he still does now. I think he writes for that website. I really don't know what to think about that guy. You know, he's not yeah. gonna he's not gonna burn Horace Grant if Horace Grant really was his source for some of the stuff in uh, right in the Jordan Rules. But other than that, I don't know what to make of the guy. Mm-hmm. Well, he said the whole pizza, the flu game, the pizza thing. He said he
1: made all that up. Uh, he said that like basically he he didn't come out and say he just said a lot of things he said are not true. And he said like the whole pizza, flu game that didn't happen, um, which, you know, Jordan's agent, which I guess would or he's a trainer. Sorry. who would probably agree with anything he said, but you know, he said it happened other people around, but he, so he called out a couple of specific things, but just in general said that it was more like a, uh, uh, the documentary was more inspired by true events than actually uh, portraying all true events. So mm. anyway, he's definitely not backing off at this point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, I won't attempt to re-adjudicate it, but Jordan looked noticeably pale uh, even as a kid watching the flu game. So I don't know. It may be the hangover game. I'm, I, you know, that, that's on the table, but I, it's hard for me to believe. And this may not be what Sam Smith is saying, but it's hard for me to believe that there's nothing going on there. Flu, food poisoning, or he was hung over. I, I would believe any of those. The pizza.
2: Remember the pizza company just came out recently and said that they did send guys there. Um, when well they opened the door, smoke came out of the room. You know, Jordan, everybody was smoking cigars, and Jordan spit on the pizza, but he had tobacco in his mouth, and he he got himself sick. Was the argument? But
0: yeah, I actually heard that on a podcast. It it you know the pizza. I think it was a Pizza Hut in suburban. Uh, Salt Lake one of their workers said oh yeah that was us we sent it we sent two guys to deliver it and I was listening to an NBA podcast and the guy said that's my theory that he basically had a ton of smoke uh, and tobacco on his teeth uh, from smoking cigars which sounds very much like Jordan spit on the pizza and gave himself food poisoning and I actually I think there may be some merit to that theory as well I, I wouldn't say that's just lunacy it sounds like how Jordan spends his time and and all the guys, you know, who are involved in that room say he spit on the pizza so they wouldn't eat any. Mm.
1: I found that quote. He said, uh, Sam Smith said, when Jordan claimed he would have come back for one more year, he said that was a complete and blatant lie by Mike. Oh, wow.
0: Hmm. Hmm. I'd love mm. to know how he knows that. I guess I'll have to track that. Maybe maybe you could email me that. Might be. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll do I'll do the googles and send it to you. <laughs> Thanks. Well, the guys, googles. anything else on on this segment? Anything else you you're burning to talk about in your viewing history? I'll take that as a no, and we'll <laughs> move on to a very special edition of. So sorry to interrupt. And basically all I want to do here is cue you up Jared. Uh, listener, you may not be familiar, but today as we're recording this uh, May 28th the PCA has released their report on human sexuality and uh, PCA there being the Presbyterian Church in America kind of the conservative wing of Presbyterianism in in the United States of America as opposed to the PCUSA, which is not the conservative wing of the Presbyterian church and Jared's dissertation work touches on human sexuality and and the reform perspective on said topic. And so Jared, I'm assuming you were watching this with great interest. Can you take us, take us through it uh, from there? Sure. Um, Yeah, I was watching it
2: with great interest because the PCA is, they've got this, uh, you know, there's a, a group in the PCA that puts on a conference every year. It's hosted at a PCA church in St. Louis. I believe it's Memorial Pre- Presbyterian pastor t- or teaching elder is uh, Greg Johnson. Greg Johnson claims to be gay. Um, and this, uh, but he's not an active gay uh, person. And uh, they, they teach it's called revoice is the name of the conference every year. And they teach Basically, that same sex sexual attraction is morally culpable sin and same sex attraction is not. And so. Wait, can you make that distinction for us one more time? So the revoice teaching is that and go for this same sex sexual attraction is sin, but same sex attraction is not sin. And so they parse out sexual attraction. They argue that there are non-sexual aspects of sexual attraction. And those non-sexual aspects can be turned toward holiness. And uh, what I argue in my dissertation is that, I mean, sexual attraction was created in the garden. And you cannot parse sexual attraction from God's original design. Anything contrary to God's design is sin. And um, anyway, so there's this big controversy in the PCA over this conference. And uh, so this report, this study committee was formed, and they produced a report. that's about 100 pages long. And basically, basically it's, a, it's a summary of my dissertation, um, but there's is, is, it's very good. I mean, I, I think it's better than my dissertation. Um, but the theology of the Reformed tradition is that anything contrary to God is sin. Your nature, if your nature is contrary to God, so think original sin, um, it is morally culpable sin. It makes you guilty. Um, any inclination that comes from your flesh that is contrary to God. So any thought that enters your head that is contrary to God, doesn't matter if you intentionally thought it, doesn't matter. I mean, it is sin because it's contrary to God. And then a, a step further than that would be um, you actually cultivate that sin in your heart. And so it gets more heinous as it goes. Um, but as far as morally, it's not holy. And one something else that Revoice teaches, because they teach that only the sexual attraction is sinful and not the same-sex attraction— they argue that you can turn that same-sex attraction to holy things. And so they, they argue for gay friendships, um, friendships that they seek to form because they are gay. And, um, you know, of course, that leads to problems. It's, what it is, it's teaching partial repentance. Um, I mean, you, you don't tell—you so, don't tell—you think of married men, right? A married man at work who says, I want to form a friendship with my female coworker, Who I'm attracted to. Who I'm attracted to. Not sexually, I'm emotionally attracted to her. Or but but they, they would say that I'm attracted to this friend because of my homosexual orientation. Can you imagine saying that as a married man? Men go 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 home and try that on your wives, see how it goes over.
0: So that version uh, would be because I have a heterosexual orientation. And I find this person at work, this woman at work, who's attractive. Yes. Uh, because I know that any desire to have sex with her is wicked. I should therefore cultivate a platonic friendship with her. Not a platonic, a heterosexual friendship
2: is what it would be. It would be a... It would be a friendship without sex. Yes, supposedly. Like, you well, can't... That, what I'm,
0: yeah, that sounds it, like lust with extra steps. Yeah, I mean,
2: biblically, I mean... If, this, if they're right, that there are these non-sexual aspects of sexual attraction that are kind of hand in glove, you know, they're um, two sides of the same coin. Um, the original reason God created them was for marriage. And so they're taking something that was originally created for marriage— and setting it apart, and then they're turning it upside down because it's gay. So it's literally turning God's design upside down. Not only they're not arguing that this is for heterosexual marriage, they're saying that this is for gay friendships. Like it just blows my mind. And then today this report drops and it basically argues all theology contrary
0: to revoice. Revoice what, for the Can past- I interject there? So you're pleased yeah, with this report? You're happy that the PCA came out and took the position it did?
2: I'm happy with the theology that's in there. They 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 in some of the pastoral applications that they mention, they undo some of the theology, in my opinion. It doesn't fit.
0: Do they recommend that gay guys have platonic friendships with other gay guys? I don't
2: I don't know. Yet. I haven't had made it I through the hundred pages. yet. Yeah. yeah, it's a hundred pages. So yeah. um, but there are quotes here and there that I've picked up that you know, where I've skimmed through it um, that are problematic. Um, They're too wishy-washy on, you know, uh, it just, it, it irks me, you know, like you, they make same-sex attraction, this special sin. And I I think we should treat it like every other sin, you know, that we're always repenting. We're always fighting the sin that's in our hearts um same sex attraction is no different um y- you know i mean none of my sins have godly outlets none of them do mm, yeah i mean i mean ask any man who's eat up with lust before he gets married if he's eat up with lust lust afterward and the reality is he'll tell you he is because because he wasn't lusting because he wasn't married he sure. was lusting because he's a sinner because he's wicked and he's, yeah and he's still wicked after he gets married yeah um mm. but it, but anyway so um, well, can um, I let me sir? just again? Yeah,
0: yeah, Is there any other sin that in the Revoice theology works this way? Like, can could murder or racism or um, I don't know theft? It, could it be a a sin that that actually is rooted in something good that can be redeemed? Or is it you know when you say they they argue that homosexual attraction is a special sin? Is that what you mean that it's the only sin that functions this way? You know, that, that it can also be redeemed in a different direction.
2: Yeah, they they try to, you know, they try to argue that about other things like, um I mean, in my in my dissertation, I, I try to apply their logic to other sins like greed, um, like like taking a guy who's got gr- who's greedy, putting him over the church building program. Um, right. That way right. he can be gre- greedy for Jesus. Right. Um, but the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver, and a greedy person's a cheerful taker. Yeah, so as um,
0: as somebody who's read your dissertation, I I really like the 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 point where you said the uh, the guy who has a foot fetish should be should lead a foot washing ministry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's the logic of rejoice. <laughs> that
1: cracks me uh, up, Jared. Do you mind if I do you mind if I tweet greedy for Jesus and, and tag you in it? <laughs> that would be fine, buddy.
2: I mean for real that's the logic behind this no same sex attraction is good for friendships. I mean that that's what they argue. It, they love Wesley Hill says he loves his friends more because of it, not less. And mm. you, you think about you think about Jesus and John and Wesley Hill so Jesus and John there's no same sex attraction going on there. Now does Wesley Hill have better friendships than Jesus and John? Like what I'm saying is you don't have to be gay to have a good same-sex friendship. Like,
0: yeah, it, it seems like it would actually be a barrier to a good friendship because markers, yeah, yeah. It's sin. Well, I had I had read a lot of Wesley Hill, particularly when Wesley started publishing about his experience of same-sex attraction, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I had real high hopes for him. But it, I can't remember what year it's been. It's been a while now. He describes one of the spiritual friendships that. He participated in and it got really gross and creepy pretty quick. In the description, he talked about like cuddling on the couch and I think like playing with each other's hair. But And he admits that when the guy found a heterosexual love interest and got married that he, he basically got jealous and felt abandoned. And it was all this language of like a jilted lover, right? Which mm-hmm. seemed to surprise Wesley. But I was like, well, yeah, dude, you were in a, you were in a homosexual relationship. Mm hmm.
1: So yeah, what yeah. part of that? I, I, I don't have the the knowledge you guys have on this. And I I know, Jared, I've talked to you about it a little bit just to gain some some knowledge on. It, so I certainly can't speak to it like you can. But like what part of what you just described, Jeff, Jeff is seen as healthy uh, spiritually or, you know, where is the flee from immorality? You know, like it, it, what other sin that you struggle with if you're an alcoholic? Do you say, well, I'm an alcoholic, but I'm going to go to bars and you know, wow. spend a lot of time at bars and try to cultivate a healthy relationship with bars. Yeah. I, appreciate- know, so I, I just can't, I literally can't think of anything, any sin that you would struggle with that you would go towards it in order to try to defeat it or cultivate. I just, I don't even understand that.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's a great comparison. Like if you, if you thought you were going to battle alcoholism by learning to appreciate the craftsmanship of liquor bottles, I you know, as a pastor, I'd be like, you know, that's a terrible strategy. Let's come up with something different. Mm-hmm. A- absolutely, there. So, what I advocate for in my dissertation
2: is tell these guys to pursue opposite sex friendships because literally, that's God's design concerning marriage. Like, and and it has a potential God designed goal. See, these guys have it in their heads that sexual attraction is a prerequisite for marriage, and I I don't think it is essential. I don't think it is essential for someone to be sexually attracted to someone else in order to get married or to stay married. It, the only prerequisite for sex is marriage, um, mm-hmm. not sexual attraction. And so if, if – um, I don't know. I have a hard time believing that my spouse is always attracted to me. Um, but. Me too, buddy.
0: Sorry, don't say that out loud. <laughs> I'm
1: just kidding. Yeah. I mean, there were all kinds of jokes here I was trying to hold back. Like, it just certainly wasn't a prerequisite for Amber. You know, I mean, you know, things like that. But (laughs) That's true. That's true. So I heard a quote one time, which doesn't fit exactly, but, you know, I I can't remember who said this. He said, God never commanded us to marry our lovers, but he commanded us to love the ones we marry. Yeah. Um, and it kind of mm-hmm. you know, fits a little bit there because I think you're absolutely right. I think while we all want that attraction and obviously I think it's preferred, um, people equate that to biblical love and biblical marriage. And so it becomes if you're not attracted, there cannot be love or there mm-hmm. cannot be marriage. And if you are attracted, it must be love and it must lead to, you know, it and anyway.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It- it's, it's super frustrating because today that report drops. So Revoice went nuts over the Nashville Statement, said they hated it, did not like it. Well, this PCA report is to the right of the Nashville Statement. It's much more ke- clear, much harder theology. I mean, harder by more stringent. Um, I mean, they say that same-sex attraction, any inclination of same-sex attraction is morally culpable sin That will send you to hell is basically what they argue. I mean, which is what the reformed tradition argued about original sin. And uh, for them to say that and then revoice this whole time has been saying, no, no, no. You can turn your same sex attraction to good things like friendships and it can be a holy thing. I mean, uh, and now revoice like the VP today came out and said that he affirmed that statement. I I started texting him on Twitter like, you know, how can you affirm this? And I mean, there you talk about, you know, doing gymnastics. They've Mm. been teaching for two years, contrary to this statement that just come out for two years. Literally, I don't know anyone at Revoice that can honestly affirm. And so I and I hope some of them are listening to this or listen to this and download it, because, guys, I want, you know, for the next year, I'm going to go find your quotes. I'm going to read your books. I'm going to write articles comparing what you've said to this statement. And look, the the reason why I'm doing that is these guys need to—they can't just say I affirm these statements. They have to renounce the error, the serious error and damage that they've done to the church for the past two years. I mean, Nate Collins, the president of Revoice, has a book, All But Invisible, where he argues for turning your same-sex attraction into holiness. I mean— it just blows my mind. And for them now to come and say that they're going to, oh, we affirm this statement. We have nothing, no problem with the report. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. They hate the guys that I've talked to hated my dissertation. And it just said what this report says. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm shocked. I'm so shocked. I texted, uh, a, a prominent, uh, uh, prominent professor in the SBC. He's like, do you believe this guy that he truly, uh, affirms this report? He said, no, <laughs> So, he said, write art, write articles, uh, blogs about it, and compare and contrast them. And so, that's what I'm going to do. I was
0: going to say, if I know my friend Jared, that's a task he's willing to take up. Uh, so, I mean, it's speculative. We can't know their motivations at the heart. But am I understanding you to say you think that Revoice is desperate to hang on to their affiliation with the PCA, so they're going to say whatever they need to, to to try to stay in the fold?
2: Dude, I think that... I think that—you know how liberals are. They can—if they get to define the terms, yeah, they can sign anything.
0: Yeah, that's true.
2: But, man, yeah. that, that statement appeals to the historic reform tradition. You can't take it out of the tradition and say, I affirm it. How did How did the Westminster divines define these terms? What did they mean? And they defined it over against the Council of Trent, over against Rome— Rome, who Wesley Hill is always uh, quoting Catholics because he's more in line with Rome than he is with Geneva. Um, I mean, he's always quoting Catholics because there's no Protestants from the 1500s and 1600s that agree with him.
0: I mean, Jared, maybe he's just trying to develop a spiritual friendship with the Roman Catholic Church. I guess,
2: man. I, I just I don't understand. Like they even say so they go after Matthew Lee Anderson. They go after Wesley Hill. They go after Nate Collins. They don't name them, uh, but they go after.
0: They name go names, after, people. Name names. They they say
2: that Jesus was tempted from without, not from within. Amen. Which Matthew Lee Anderson says he was tempted from within, so he actually desired to do something contrary to God's command. Yes. And Matthew Lee Anderson is on the advisory council of Revoice.
0: Stunning development. Stunning development, folks. It just, anyway, it,
2: it uh, I'm dumbfounded. I figured Revoice would come out hard against it, but they're a Revoice apolo- apologist. I, I, another uh, teaching elder online, I texted him, was like, do you still believe after this report has come out and defined a biblical sexual ethic? Do you still believe Revoice affirms a biblical sexual ethic? He said, yes, I do. And so I said,
0: <sighs> yeah.
2: And you know what he told me the biblical sexual ethic was that Christians affirm what he meant? He said that husbands and wives are supposed to have sex with one another. <laughs>
0: <That> <laughs> Who are we he, supposed to cuddle with?
2: <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was his
0: definition
2: of a biblical sexual ethic huh. when he said that is orthodox
0: on it. So, so the biblical sexual ethic has nothing to say to unmarried people? Nothing to say to like unmarried. Get married and yeah. have sex with the spouse?
2: Yeah, just have sex with your spouse. That's the biblical sexual ethic. Wow. And I said, man, that's Rome can affirm that. Like what, what the reformed Islam yeah, yes, would ethic, affirm that. Yeah, the, the reformed sexual ethic is um, a pure heart. Hmm. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It starts in the heart. It's not just have sex with your spouse. I mean, and they spell it out. They spell it out in that report. I mean, the theology is so good in that report. It's just they get. On their application, they get too detailed, in my opinion. They
0: make some statements. They not being revoiced here. They being the PCA Study Committee. Yes, the okay.
2: PCA Study Committee. Brilliant guys. I mean, Keller's on there. The um, Youngs on there. I mean, they they got several of the brilliant, sharp guys and stuck them on there and had them hash this out. And it really is a good report. I mean, in in the theology in it, that is better than the Nashville Statement. I mean, mm. it is
0: okay. Um, well, so, so I mean, what does Revoice do with this? Is this going to make life in the PCA more difficult for Revoice, or is this going to be you mentioned earlier the old liberal tactic of using the same terms but different definitions? So, same vocabulary, different dictionary. Is this going to be like the spiritual resurrection of Christ in uh, you know in, in higher critical studies where they say, oh yeah, we believe in a resurrection, but it was in the minds and hearts of the disciples rather than bodily? and they'll be okay? Or do you think the PCA says, hey, Revoice, find a new home? I
2: think the PCA votes this through or votes a summary of it through um, as a standard. And then they will hold teaching elders and they will um, hold ordination from um, people who can't teach in line with it or who don't teach in line with it. And basically, Revoice is going to be miserable if they stay in the PCA.
0: Um, If they As miserable as like... A dude attracted to a dude, living with a dude, cuddling with a dude who can't have sex with a dude.
2: Yeah, I mean that. It's just it's it's frustrating because I I don't know. See if Revoice stays, you may
0: have a lo- an exodus of people on the other side. Well, I mean nitty gritty, right? Greg Johnson, he's a PCA yeah. elder, right? Yeah, and and I think you told me recently at a lunch we had that that he says he's a gay guy except for where it comes to his wife, and he's only heterosexual with his wife. No, that's Nate Collins.
2: That's, Nate, that's Collins. Nate Collins, okay. President of Revoice, yeah. So, Nate Collins is PCA elder? I don't think he's an elder. He he was Southern Baptist. He's got a PhD from Southern Seminary, and uh, he just joined the PCA in the past year. I don't think he can be an elder yet. He may be a ruling elder. I don't know.
0: Well, so would he be—you think he would be prevented from being ordained once this study is affirmed by the General Assembly?
2: I think that if the Missouri Presbytery um, is the one who does the ordination, uh, they've already put up a smoke screen for Revoice. They've they've done it. They've protected them for the past two years. Um, I mean, it, it just blows my mind, Jeff, that these guys with a straight face can say that Revoice affirms everything in that report because I know for a fact they don't. I mean, I've read their books. I've read their works. I've listened to their interviews. You know, I've been eating and drinking Revoice for over a year. Ew, and, gross. Yeah, for real. Um, it it just it bothers it it bothers me because of what it means for the church, what it means for the children. Um, I mean, the children who are in memorial prayers who know that their pastor is gay. I mean, what does that do to? It's one thing if he's repentant. And he's and he's talking about fighting against it. But no, these guys treat it like them not having gay sex is a sacrifice. That's how they describe it. I'm yes. not. I'm not kidding. Go go and listen to Greg Johnson on the floor of the PCA General Assembly last and
0: year. I did. I heard that. That was that was a masterclass in guilt and manipulation. Uh, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I, I'm good though. I don't. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to hear anything. I read his piece in Christianity Today talking about being a gay guy as a pastor or whatever, and. I think I've can heard you, all the Greg Johnson I want to hear.
2: Can you imagine, though, a little leaven leavens the whole lump and you see how much homosexuality, the way that basically homosexuality was pushed through was it started in pop culture and was able to help sway the minds of the masses and what folks tolerate, they end up believing. Um, and I mean, that that's the thing, like there's going to be more and more gay Christians and by that. I mean, that's what Revoice permits people to call themselves who um, are are not having gay sex, but they're still acting on their same sex attraction, not their same sex sexual attraction. They refer to themselves as gay Christians. Um, there's going to be a lot more in the future. And what it is, it's partial repentance, um, because regardless what you call it, anything contrary to God is sin. And if you're acting on it, even if it's in celibate friendships, see, there would be no gay friendships if the fall didn't happen. This is not designed by God. They're not acting on something that is designed by God. They are acting on an inclination caused by original sin. In other words, a lust of the flesh. It's just that it's not a sexual lust. I I think it is a sexual lust. I don't think you can parse it that finely. And I think I think Wesley Hill falling in love with his best friend proves that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm, that's troubling. I, uh, I I trust you're going to do some some writing on this. I am. I'm gonna.
2: I don't know where to start, but um, I, I've just got to listen and and get quotes and go get their go get their works, go return to their works, and get as much as I can get and read and and I'm gonna I'm going to show every quote that these PCA guys, these PCA elders that are contrary to this report.
0: Wait, wait, wait. you you're gonna be looking at the elders who are pro Revoice, who you think have been teaching contrary for some time now. To the theology in the report, right? I just make sure I have that on. This. Yes, yeah.
2: yes. I'm I'm going to the guys that I know that are that are teaching elders or or uh, ruling elders in the PCA that claim to affirm this report. Um, I'm just going to compare and contrast their writings and their interviews with with the report itself, and we'll see we'll see what comes of it. Now, the thing is, I hope they all repent. I mean, I, I hope that they renounce their unbiblical doctrines that they've been teaching for two years, the damage that has been done. Jeff, think of the damage that has been done to evangelicalism in the past two years because of what Revoice has been teaching and espousing. I mean, I'm dealing at at my church, I counsel some with homosexuals, and I mean, these guys can Google this nonsense. Yeah. And they've got enough pressure from the culture telling them that gay is good. Now you've got PCA pastors, ruling elders, teaching elders saying that gay is good. I mean, uh, and th- not to mention, Jeff, that if any of our children have I- any inclination or any um, homosexual thought and they decide to push the Google button, you know, get on Google and do a search for gay Christian or can a Christian be gay or whatever, they're going to stumble upon this <laughs> It just it fires me up because it's so far reaching and it's so blatantly unbiblical. It's just that folks have such bleeding hearts, and it, it's because it's a, they have bleeding hearts for whatever the culture says is a, is a sin to have a bleeding heart for. It's not like people running around saying they want to be white supremacist Christians,
0: right? right.
2: Or 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 pedo or pedo Christians uh, where they're sexually attracted to children, right? Um, you, you know what I'm saying? But it's, it's unfashionable. Cost- that's uh, coming, though. Yeah. That's coming. I hear you. I mean, once once uh, pedophilia is justified in our culture and accepted, you better believe there are going to be some
0: pedo-Christians coming up. Hmm.
2: I mean, the, the revoice has paved the way for them.
0: Uh, let me just insert here, come Lord Jesus.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it's crazy. Not to mention, um, you think of all the the other cultures, like in the— I mean, there's a lot of sexual perversion in the world— and our culture is not getting less perverted. Yeah. Um yeah. and there's going to the church is going to have to battle these things and deal with these things. And Revoice has cut the rug right out under the church. Mm. I mean now 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 in counseling people who are battling heinous sexual sin in their hearts, Revoice is telling them to parse it out and to figure out what is holy about it and just reject the unholy part.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's counseling the uh, the man abusing his wife to teach her judo, right? Um Yeah. It's nonsense. It is is nonsense. I know you've been doing writing on this already. So, listener, if this is new to you or you're interested in kind of drawing this out further and and studying more on the subject, Jared has written a four-part series for monergism.com, M-O-N-E-R-G-I-S-M.com. If you go to monergism.com and put in Jared's name, Jared Moore, M-O-O-R-E, or Dear PCA and Revoice, you'll, you'll find a link to his four-part series. So, is there anywhere else you would tell people to kind of get their feet wet on this subject, Jared? Did you tell them Founders? Oh, that's right. You also wrote for Founders. So, founders.org forward slash blog. And mm-hmm. if you go to founders.org forward slash blog, there is a drop-down menu, Browse Resources By. You can pick Author. It's the second field. And just scroll down to you see Jared Moore. And... Uh, the article is: Did Jesus desire something his father? Did Jesus desire to not do something his father commanded in the Garden of Gethsemane? Mm-hmm. And uh, Matthew Lee Anderson says yes. So Jesus
2: desired to disobey God's command. Yikes! You know what that that just that that it just blows my mind that people who claim to be evangelicals are saying this stuff. And and by the way, in that report, they clearly say that that did not happen. <laughs> oh, nice. nice. Oh, yeah. They go after, again, they go after all these guys without naming them. Okay.
0: But anyway. Well, thank you for that. And I'm certainly going to praise the Lord that the PCA seems to have gotten this one right. Um, hopefully it will, it will shake out to the health of the church, to God's glory and the... Uh, magnification of Christ's name here and among the nations. Uh, I guess it's a good place to put a bow, though, and get to the subject of what brought us together. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call an end to... And are you gentlemen ready to pull the curtain on the peanut butter falcon? Yes, sir. let do right. it. Well, now, I watched this movie basically on the recommendation of... Michael Dickerson. So thanks again, Mike. Uh, I, I had seen a preview for it and I thought, oh, that looks kind of feel good and maybe interesting. I might throw that on sometime, but largely forgot about it. And uh, Mike said, oh man, y'all got to watch this movie. And Mike, I got to be honest. I'm really glad you told me to do that. It, can Can you remember what really gripped you the first time you saw this film? Uh, yeah. I mean, I,
1: there's, I, I enjoyed a lot of it, but I think just kind of overview what I really Enjoyed, you know, it kind of had that, um, kind of that Mark Twain feel. In mm-hmm. fact, when I rewatched it for this, I didn't notice the first time, but actually, um, Tyler in the movie, Shia LaBeouf's character, actually at one point says it's like a Mark Twain story, like talking about their adventure. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even notice that the first time, but huh. anyway, I thought it was kind of kind of had that feel to it. Um, you know, I actually really enjoy uh, feel good. Movies, which I think this has some of that in it, um, when it's a true, like true feel good, not just like a manufactured emotion or a manufactured, uh, you know, I felt like it it was very genuine um, in how the emotion played out because there were parts that were kind of emotional and such. But I thought it was very genuine. And so I I enjoyed that. Um, But, yeah, I just thought the partnership between those two guys and the banter between the two main characters was uh, you know, just really, really funny and um, you know, kinda had that like I don't know, that stand by me, you know, mm-hmm. we're on a quest type feel to it, even though it's a smaller group. Um, anyway, I, I just those those are the things that I just I just found it really enjoyable and there were some thought provoking things in there for me as well, uh, you know, along the way. But
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get into it. I will give you guys the IMDb summary, which I think is pretty weak. Uh, Y'all tell me what needs to be added in here. And then after that, maybe, Jared, you take us through a conscience warning. Does that sound good? Okay. So IMDb summarizes this movie by saying Zach runs away from his care home to make his dream of becoming a wrestler come true. I mean, that's not wrong, but, boy, that sure seems thin. Oh, yeah, yeah. This movie's about friendship. Completely agree. Completely agree. This is a film like I don't see how you get to a summary of this movie that doesn't include Tyler. Right. Zach runs away from his care home, links up with Tyler, a runaway who's made some bad decisions. And along the way, they find uh, a greater, greater sense of their own humanity in their friendship, something like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're kind of buried in the lead here. Mike, anything you would see up that description with?
1: No, I completely agree. Uh, You know, the whole movie revolves around their, their friendship. Um, And I think, uh, you know, I think more, even more than Zach fulfilling his dream of wrestling. uh, You know, I think it's more about him just fulfilling his dream of like living, like having a life, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. he feels like he's been cast away. And I think that's just the only way he knows to like because he he thinks that's like a real legitimate life is being a wrestler you know so I mean I know a lot of people have made it a real legitimate life but I'm saying you know (laughs) it's like he views that not as like a profession or something but like this is how I could be a real person and live in the real world I could be a wrestler you know Mm.
0: so listener if for some reason you've made this far and you've hung with us but haven't seen the movie we're just going to recommend you stop here. Uh, We've already kind of dipped our toes into the waters of spoilers. You need to go watch this movie before you you hear the rest of this episode. And so uh, if you if you press on with us, understand we will be spoiling pretty uh, extensively the plot of this movie. And with that in mind, Jared, what uh, what would a what are some elements in this movie that a conscientious Christian is going to be is going to want to be aware of uh, that might trouble their conscience?
2: yeah there there's language and violence um mainly language um there's not i don't i don't think there's necessarily crude humor um but mainly mainly language and violence and there's some there's some scenes that i mean they'll pull at your heartstrings, you know if you don't if you don't like being sad in a movie or you know it, it i mean it's a good movie it's worth watching but there there's some there's some intense scenes in this movie yeah it gets dusty a little um Yeah. And then and then, you know,
0: empathy for I mean, there's some serious violence,
2: at least threatened, you know.
0: Yeah, I think there is maybe one scene where Dakota Johnson is in her underwear going swimming or something like that. She's wearing a T-shirt, but I think she I don't know. I I remember just being like, well, maybe some Christian may not want to see that. But it's largely the equivalent of a bathing suit, if that's something your conscience is okay with. Uh, Anything else, Mike D? Anything you think might challenge a conscience?
1: Uh, No, not really.
0: okay. Well, we have a method to our madness here on the Pop Culture Quorum Dale podcast, and we get into analyzing the story, looking at it in comparison to the way the Lord tells the story of His Son in human history. And so we think about what the what the world of this movie is, uh, what elements of fallenness we see here, how, uh, how we see the gospel in redemption, and what good world will come on the far side of uh, the redemptive work. And so with that in mind, um, we've talked about getting the story right um, what is the creative goodness, the creational goodness of this world? What What do you guys see of the Lord's glory in in this film, uh, Jared? You want to start? <laughs> sure. Um. <clears throat> <laughs> you want to let you? us sit on the joke, bud?
2: Was that who whose house was that with that big car driving?
0: Dude, I'm in my office at church, and oh. <laughs> yeah. It's just a miracle that the lawnmowering company hasn't shown up yet. So don't don't spoil it. Don't call attention to it.
2: Oh, that is awesome. Creational goodness. So um, friendship, obviously, Um, this is a a world that's very much like our own. I mean, it is our own. Um, I love the dignity of uh, I mean, from beginning to end, you know, there are very few characters that don't value um, Zach. Hmm. Um, You know, I mean, and they're they're from the beginning. They're trying to. There's an emphasis on treating him as someone who has agency, someone who has value. Um, You know, instead of treating him like there's something wrong with him. And I I mean, it's very thought provoking and and helpful. um, Concerning you know what it what is image bearing, what is? And I know they don't use those terms, but what is human dignity, human value? Um and treating others with that value, what does that look like? Whenever someone may have a a uh, a birth defect, um, you know how how can we treat them? How are we supposed to treat them? Where um we still give them value and we don't devalue them just because they um you know have that have that birth defect, you know? Um, so I mean, there was a lot a lot there about creational goodness, friendship, human value. And uh, you know these uh, all three of these main characters in this movie are are outcasts basically. They're kind of square pegs in a round hole, and yet they find they're they're kind of longing for family, and they find that in one another. And uh, I mean, I don't know, man. I I think it's uh, very good. There's a lot of good, a lot of creational goodness here. And as a Christian, I think I can. Uh, there's a new, a unique way that we can value that.
0: Yeah. So the the second lead here is Zachary. Gotzigen, I think is how you say that name. And uh, he, he has Down syndrome. And I think, it's, I think it's a good place for you to go um, right off the jump. That this movie treats him with respect and treats him, again, agency, but dignity. Um, a minute ago, you may have heard a sound that sounded like running water. It's because I pulled up an article I've been wanting to have ready for this. But we have about eliminated uh, at least large swaths of the Western world have about eliminated uh, children with Down syndrome through abortion. So Iceland is sort of the, you know, the, the, the bleeding edge. And I choose that term intentionally of this phenomenon. And so uh, CBS news, a piece um, from August 14, 2017, the headline is what kind of society do we want to live in inside the country where Down syndrome is disappearing? And they say that almost 100 percent of women in Iceland who uh, who take a prenatal test, which it says almost all women do, uh, virtually 100 percent of them choose to abort the child if it's found to have Down syndrome. And in in Iceland, the the legal permit for abortion extends to after 16 weeks if the fetus has a deformity and, and Down syndrome is included in that category. Mm. So you've got Iceland almost eliminating these people entirely. But the, the same article says that the United States has a 67% termination rate, at least that's the estimate, from uh, data gathered over uh, the span of 1995 to 2011, Uh, In France, it's 77%. Denmark, 98%. And again, Iceland, virtually 100%. And so we're kind of watching a genocidal war on Down syndrome playing out in our culture. And this movie comes along very profitably and says, actually, this is a human being. And they have dreams and they have value and dignity. And recognizing that might even help call out uh, your own humanity. Mike, I'm assuming this is part of the appeal of the movie for you as well. Yeah, yeah. And I I think that's very well said. You know,
1: the word I kept thinking about was grace, you know, that even though it's very rough, Tyler, you know, eventually does show grace uh, to Zach you know it's kind of hard because he's had a hard time himself they both um, you know had some some difficulty uh, in their life abandonment um, they're both loners they both don't have any family around you know and all those things and so um yeah i think the uh, the fact that like you said they you know recognizing him as a human being i think sometimes we we look at this and especially i mean you guys know when your wives have kids now in Tennessee, they, you know, they'll ask if you want to do a genetic test or they'll do genetic testing if you want to. I remember me and my wife saying, you know, let's, so I'm going to make a difference to us. So, you know, um, you know, we're not looking to we're looking to have this child and raise this child not to get rid of it. Um, right. But I think, you know, you, you see that happening. I think it's a it's a viewpoint of this child will be a burden to me. And this child will not have a fulfilling life for themselves. Uh, But you know, you have to think, first of all, you know, sometimes the tests are wrong. Uh, that's, you know, the first thing. But even if they're totally accurate, you know, someone might look at this movie and say, see, this proves that point because look at him, he's living in a nursing home where he shouldn't be because his family didn't want him. Apparently, we d- they don't go into that very much, but his, his family is not there. Didn't want him. He gets dumped in this nursing home when he really shouldn't be in a nursing home with all, you know, senior adults and people that aren't like him. Um, and so they may say, this is why what happens, you know, you see him, but then I think that's missing, not only um, that he has value to himself, but he has value to other people. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And we see that with Tyler, you know, and I mean, any of you all that know um, someone with Down syndrome, uh, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to belittle, uh, but I mean, I I get joy. There's a, there's a, some uh, person with Down syndrome that works at Wendy's in Cookville and, has been there many years, you know, and I just always get joy of seeing him work and seeing him, you know, be kind to people and care for people and do his job. And I mean, that's that's things that I mean, work is a gift of God, uh, you know, so I mean, it can bring God glory. So I, I just sometimes I think it's all very me focused, which we shouldn't be surprised by that. But I think sometimes we forget like what, and even though this is not a real story, what he does for the other people in the movie, um, you know, kind of helping them to see what's important, helping them to break out of what they're stuck in. I mean, he's probably the biggest change agent in the movie for other people's lives. Um, And and I think, you know, it's interesting because you were talking about how People care about him for the good things in the movie. That uh, there's a lot of care towards him, but it's it's very different care. You know, um, the character played by uh, Dakota, she is caring for him in a very like motherly, mm-hmm. like protect him. He can't go out. He's gonna get sunburned. He's you know he's gonna drown. He can't swim. He's gonna you know all this stuff. And then you get uh, Shia LaBeouf, who is. More. I mean, it's, I think in a way, it's like a father figure um, to him more because obviously he's kind of teaching him and, you know, providing for him. Like he gives him food, he gives him clothes, he teaches him how to make a rat, you know, all these things. But it's also kind of that brotherly thing. Um, And so it's interesting to see how they both really care for him, but in very different ways in how they want to take care of him. But anyway, I just, I think the the showing the value um, that he brings uh, is one of the best things in the movie for me.
0: Yeah, that's well said. I I, I don't remember what time, uh, and forgive me for this, Mike, I don't remember when you and your family first started attending um, uh, kind of one of our mutual home churches. Like me and Jared went to one, you have a significant relationship with another one, but also we're a, at the one Jared and I attended. And anyway, one of their pastors had a son with Down syndrome. And I, I don't want to minimize that raising a Down syndrome child is a real challenge. And you have to make plans beyond your own, uh, you know, your own life to make sure that the the child has someone to care for them. I, I don't want to denigrate or sorry, not denigrate. I don't want to downplay that. Uh, but I also appreciate that the way that this movie, the, the plot is based on what you said, Mike, that, <clears throat> As an image bearer, this guy has dreams and he desires to do more than live in a nursing home. He realizes that there's more to the world, and he may have a naive, unsophisticated vision of that world. But we can say that about a whole host of people, including myself in high school. Uh, and he wants to get out and engage with it. And you know, the the actor is is a demonstration of the of the same thing. You know, I think the justification for these radical abortion numbers is that. Oh that child will have such low quality of life but here you have uh, Zach gotsigan in his character and in his own experience showing just how rich and full of life someone who has Down syndrome really can have so i I don't know if the creators were going for all that but they have really they've really taken a significant shot at the idea that having Down syndrome is some kind of cursed existence and and you know diminished uh diminished quality of life Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, you know, and I, I have to say, it's kind of, you know, this movie did kind of strike a chord with me personally as well, um, because you know my my family, and we, you know, it's not something we really, we're not hiding it, but we're just not really kind of crusaders for it. But our youngest son Miles has autism, and oh yeah, okay. it's uh, it's one of those things that, you know, everybody deals with it in different ways, and you know, some people start a blog or a podcast and they try to encourage other people and they try to be, you know, right about it. And, and that's great for them. Uh, other people like don't want to be public about it at all. You know, we just don't, you know, we're not looking for attention. We're not looking for anything like that, but I'd actually ask my wife, if it was okay. Uh, if, you know, if I mentioned something about this uh, because it really struck a core with me because I worry um, probably to a sinning level uh, about, my son and his future and like what kind of life he'll have as an adult you know, because uh, we really don't know, you know, he, he's only five and, you know, we've just learned, you know, been learning more and more about this in the last two years. He goes to therapy, so, you know, several days. In fact, right now, he's in about 16 hours of therapy a week. Oh, wow. um, and, you know, and he started school early to try to, you know, help him get started. His, his big thing is speech and communication. And, and there's so many types of, I mean, we won't get into all that, but there's so many different, that's why they call it a spectrum because there's people that, you know, can't handle uh, physical touch. That's not him. You can hug him. You can tickle him. You can. So you know, for us, a lot of times we're out and you know somebody will see him and they'll say, "How, how old is your son?" We'll say five, and he's just jabbering and not really saying any real words. And they'll kind of look at us, you know, and 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 things like. This. So we're even now beginning because he's starting to get to the age where he should be able to have a conversation with an adult as a five year old, and he can't. Um, So we're starting to get to that point now and it's becoming more and more real of, you know, um, I mean, I don't know. Will he live with us forever? Right. You know, or will he be able to engage in friendships? Will he be able to have um, a wife? Will he be able to have kids? I mean, I I don't know. Um, I hope for all that, that he can and we're going to do everything we can to do that. But it made me think about, you know, Zach and how he was kind of thrown away by his family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and really, that's why I mentioned four. like I said, all he really wanted to do was just have a life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, you know, it hit me a little bit, maybe there specifically because of that, because I think about that a lot. Um, because you kind of are just trying to get through each day each month each year you know but then as they start getting older and you start thinking man what's this gonna look like in five years 10 years 15 years 30 years um, so you know and I again this is not for for sympathy or anything like that it's just it's something that really really hit me um, on a personal level because I think um, it's something you long for for your kid I mean you guys do you long your, for your kids to you know, and my other son to grow up and get married and have friends and Mm -hmm. go to college, get a job and live a life and, and all those things. And I just don't, oh man, you know how it kills you to think about your kids being made fun of or something like that. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, what if his whole life is considered, you know, kind of a, a joke, you know, even in this movie at the nursing home, you know, we said Zach is treated very well for the most part, but one of the hospital staff members um, you know, forgive me for this word, but calls him a retard. Yeah, you know, no, no. he comes no. in and it says something like that to him, and you know, and I'll be. We always used to joke around. It. I mean, I fully mean. I used to say that word all the time sure. when I was in high school and college. We would joke, say, that. "Now, I mean, it grates me." You know, uh-huh. and and it makes you realize, um, you know, what you say matters and how you say it and all those things. But we even see that at a nursing home that's supposed to be taking care of him. You know, uh-huh. that someone yeah. says that so anyway uh you know that really struck me and i I thought it was awesome to see you know again i know that we've already given the spoiler alerts but to see him with a with a happy ending maybe not a a normal uh like what you would have expected but i'm sure he'd he'd be happy with it so
0: yeah mm -hmm. for sure for sure and i appreciate you uh, talking about that, Mike, I, I don't mean to be trite with this, but I, I do hope that listeners will join us in praying for wisdom for y'all. As y'all navigate that. And mm-hmm. uh, I have every confidence that you guys will raise your son to, uh, to experience the full dignity. That's his as an image bearer. Um, mm-hmm. Can, can I tell y'all thinking about what's good in this movie? Can I tell you my favorite part in this entire film? And I, I don't think it's going to, I don't think you'll guess it. And you may, in fact, condemn me for saying this is my favorite part. Sure. So there's a scene where Tyler hasn't yet decided that he's going to take care of Zach. And Zach's kind of been, you know, he's kind of left Zach behind. But he comes back to find Zach up on a a platform overlooking the river. And some local bully kids are telling Zach to to jump in. And Zach's saying, no, I'm not going to do it. And the bullies, you know, pressuring him and and Tyler starts screaming like he can't or screaming. He starts yelling. He can't swim. Stop doing that. So I can't remember if the kid pushes Zach in or Zach takes the bait and jumps in. But Tyler rushes up on the platform or at least he's on the way up there uh, to try to stop this. And before he can get there, Zach jumps in or whatever. And before Tyler dives in to to save Zach's life, he takes a minute to punch the kid in the face. I love it. I think that was my favorite part of this movie. Uh, I had that written down too. So
1: I'll I'll affirm you in that. I mean, and the kids are like what, eight or nine. Yeah. Probably nine years old. He just punches him right in the face.
0: (laughs) It delighted me. And I, I know this is probably like over spiritualizing it, but this movie recognizes a high morality. Like there is no, I know that that was illegal and I'm not in favor of adult men punching kids. Uh, You know, none of that but what that kid most justly deserved in that moment is for somebody to punch him in the face. (laughs) (laughs) I just was delighted that they chose. I mean, that's like the first time you're like, you know, because Shia Shia LaBeouf shows up, you're like, he's going to be a big deal in this movie. But that's the first time where you're like, yeah, this guy might be all right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if it, fits. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a newbie here, so I may be out of, of order here, but I want to talk about Tyler for a second because yeah. I, I love his character. I do love Shia LaBeouf in general. Uh, I, I like a lot of things that he's in. I think he's a very talented actor. It may be like, well, this is just an easy buddy movie, but I think he pulls off just in his nuance a lot of things that other people would not pull off, in my opinion. Uh, but anyway, but you know he he's lo- he's alone he's by himself uh his he it mentions him having a brother uh who died um so you know it's kind of that was his guy and then now he's gone he feels lost he feels out of place i mean throughout the movie he picks up like smoked cigarettes that people got rid of and like smokes the last like 10 seconds out of the <laughs> out of the cigarette and so <laughs> he, he's desperate you know and, and it even mentions you know i I know there's limits to these things, but it mentions I mean, he looks like he's in a very low income type area, you know, very like salt of the earth workers and you know, he his brother apparently had some sort of crabbing license that he lost when he died. And so he can't even like try to catch crabs like on his own because he doesn't have the license for it. And so like, he's just, you know, completely lost in that way. You know, he punches the nine-year-old kid. In fact, I think when Zach first tells him I'm a Down syndrome person, Tyler says, I don't give a crap. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, but then, As he starts to turn and he starts to try to help Zach and he starts to try to see uh, which, you know, he's first inclined to help Zach because he thinks it will help him, I think, get with the woman, you know, um, because he thinks, oh, this may be my ticket to get with her. But I think as he starts to soften a little bit, um, you know, he tells him, you know, hey, this isn't charity. Um, You know, this is just on my way where I'm going, but I wouldn't be doing charity uh, for you. Um, And, you know, he tells him, hey, you got to leave uh, when we get where we're going. You know, you can't stay with me. And he's like. Well, I want to stay. Can I stay? And Tyler's like, why would I need you to stay? You know, um, and so he he can only think about himself at first. But as he starts to turn there a little bit, you see, I mean, then he starts teaching them about wrestling. He starts showing him how to build a boat, how to fish, uh, you know, how to do all kinds of stuff, how to drink, unfortunately. Um, but anyway, he, he's really kind of takes him under his wing and you can see that. I, that's where I say that I think Zach's as good for him as he is for Zach as he is for Zach. But I just loved his character going from like destitute to like kind of a semi-hero uh, in the movie for what he did for Zach. I just I loved watching that.
0: Yeah, man, absolutely. And it's a skilled writer, pretty obviously, who's who's at the controls of this plot because you're right. The, you know, it's unavoidable watching this movie that. Zach sort of becomes a patriot, excuse me, that Tyler becomes a patron to Zach and starts teaching him kind of like you said, dad stuff. But there's also this scene where the men that are hunting Tyler get the jump on him. And the guy who comes out to rescue Tyler is Zach. And I just, I appreciate sort of the, the mutual, um, not, not just agency, but like this story makes both these guys the hero in very meaningful ways. Yeah. Well, you talked about one of your favorites in
1: my fa- I mean, there are a lot, but I think my favorite little quip talking about good riding and and all that stuff when they're wading across the river and Zach is scared to death and he's like, I'm gonna die. You know, and he just says it. He says, I'm going to die. And Tyler like doesn't miss a beat, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, you are. It's only a matter of time. The question is whether they're gonna have whether they're gonna have a good story to tell about you. Now stop being a baby. Let's go. You know. Yeah. And uh, I just thought that was such a a great line there. Of yep, you're right. You're gonna die. You know. Whereas. He would have never been in that situation if it hadn't been for Tyler. Um, but I think, you know, Zach needed that. Like I said, he wanted to live. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Tyler was helping him uh, help him do. But I thought that was a great uh, bit of writing there.
0: Well, yeah. Sure. And when they get to the other side, which, by the way, I did not expect that whole crossing the channel with that shrimp boat bearing down on them to be as harrowing as it was. They, yeah. The cinematography on that was great. But I think that that's the first thing that Zach says to Tyler on the other side. He says, man, that was a great, you know, now that's a great story or something like that. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh,
0: I, I'm i super impressed. Yeah.
2: Sorry, Jerry. Go ahead. My, uh, my favorite part of the movie, favorite little part was when Zach's wrestling, Jack the Snake. And uh, they tell him to shout something that like, you know, he is something scary. <laughs> Or something insulting, and Zach yells, "You're not invited to my birthday party."
0: Yeah, that's right. Because he kept inviting people to his birthday <laughs> oh, party. That's so good. That's good. Yes, that's so good. <laughs> and I
2: laughed out loud, man. And I love, I love getting to see Jake the Snake too. You know, I mean Yeah, I had for to see sure. Him in forever.
0: Oh, uh, dude, you got to watch the Redemption of Jake the Snake. I think it's what the documentary is called. It's good stuff. DDP saved his life, man.
2: Yeah, I think I have seen that, but that's even that's like ten years old, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, but I think it got. I think his time with Diamond Dallas Page got him sober and kind of got him back onto a uh, a decent road. You know, he not to spend time talking about Jake the Snake, but I (laughs) I loved his cameo too. And uh, Jake the Snake's a guy who is sort of a version of Tyler. His dad, I think, got uh, Jake's mom pregnant when she was thirteen. And his dad was a famous wrestler named Grizzly. Uh, Grizzly, I guess it must have been Grizzly Roberts. But Jake talks about that in a lot of his interviews, how he was always alienated from his dad. His life began under such bizarre circumstances. And he you know, took those bad choices and ran with him and made his own. And he's kind of come back around. And so I think there's a it, it, it makes poetic sense that Jake the Snake is in Tyler's movie, Tyler and Zach's movie.
2: Something I've just noticed, man, is that uh, the director and writer's first name is Tyler. And I, I wonder, I don't know, I should have investigated it, hmm. but I, I wonder if, um, you know, I mean, when you name the name, the
1: main character after yourself, there's something to that. You
0: yeah, know? it invites curiosity, doesn't it?
1: One more, another, uh, I'm just thinking of it now, but the scene with, uh, with when they run into the blind man, thats uh, kind of oh, got gosh. some spiritual uh connotations there when they run into him. They're trying to steal his boat, you know, and, and (laughs) his answer to them is to give him, you know, baptism to baptize him in the river. Uh, he, I think he says it's the waters of forgiveness. Uh, but it's kind of, uh, there's a little like kind of, oh brother, where art thou line where he says, uh, you know, something about the waters of forgiveness and Shia LaBeouf says, I'm more of a baptism by fire kind of (laughs) guy. Yeah. And, uh I thought that. And the blind man's like, unfortunately, I don't perform those kind of baptisms. <laughs> Made me think back to, oh, brother, where he's like, I'm absolved of that. I'm absolved of that, too. And he's like, well, the state of Mississippi's a little more hard nose. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm always t- taken back to that uh, line. But uh, I-, I think Zach, you know, obviously he- he's not understanding. He's like, what is baptism tires like? Eh, it's kind of like swimming. Uh, which, you know, outside of genuine repentance, we know is completely accurate. It is. It is just swimming. Um, but uh, but I, I thought that was pretty, pretty cool there uh, as
0: well. Yeah. What a good way to prep. You know, Tyler, they need this guy. Right. And so uh, what a good way to prep Zach for what he's going to go through with their uh, with that baptism there. The the actor there is Wayne Hart, And I don't know if he's actually blind or not, but I thought he was. I thought he was a killer in that role, man. <laughs> uh, you know, Southern menace, but also big hearted. And, you know, when when Dakota Fanning's character shows back up and he's like, let's talk about Jesus. And she's like, oh, gosh, I got sucked into it. Uh, I just thought it was super well done, man. It it it, it smacked of reality in the Bible Belt to me. Uh, you know, I've never met that guy. I've never met the guy with a pistol and. Uh, a baptism ministry, but just the idea of like this guy's you're going to talk to this guy about Jesus one way or the other. I've met that guy and uh, I enjoyed that performance. (laughs) Hey, um, before we move on, you you said that Shia LaBeouf is uh, uh, an actor. You enjoy the performance of right, Mike.
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: Is that because of Indiana Jones and the crystal skull kingdom or whatever it's called? (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) Ouch. No, but I will say this.
1: I, I think he could have been a decent replacement for you know, I think he could have done. I mean, now, of course, it's like everybody thinks that uh, Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt's the next Indian, you know, and, and I get that. He kind of, you know, has that thing. But uh, I, I wouldn't have hated Shia LaBeouf in a standalone Indiana Jones. I mean, I would have hated anything but Harrison Ford. But you know what I'm saying? Like, if it has to happen, I, I don't think he would have been bad for it. But But no, that's not why. I like him
0: joke. <laughs> well, did you see, did you see fury it is a tank movie from 2014 with yes. Brad
1: Pitt? Yes, I did.
0: Uh, Great. I thought Shia LaBeouf was incredible in that movie. Uh, and I don't know if you guys, now, there was
1: a movie too, uh, with him that always kind of stuck out to me. Um, was it called Kennedy or something? Was it about, was it about Bobby Kennedy or something like that, that he well, was in that, um, trying to think. There was a movie there and I'm pretty sure he was the one that was in it. Bobby. Now I'm questioning myself. Bobby. Yeah, yeah. he played Cooper in and, Bobby. Uh, yeah. yeah, and he just, I mean, that was kind of one of the, he, he had some crazy uh, crazy parts in that as well, but, um, but anyway, I thought he was pretty good. Pretty good in that, and there's been some other movies. I mean, the, I'm not a Transformers fan, but the first one was was decent. He was in that movie Lawless, which I thought
0: was yeah, pretty Lawless decent as well. Yeah. So, well, in Fury, I, I can't remember if Jared and I have talked about this on a podcast before or not. But in Fury, he plays this deeply religious Christian who has this, you know, incredible scripture memory. And I remember reading, and I've never verified it. I know this stuff is sometimes not worth the web page it's printed on, but that he had some sort of conversion experience spending that much time with scripture for that part. Uh, have Have either one of y'all heard any of that? Mm-mm. In Fury? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I heard that, that he um, was born again. Yeah. I hope for the sake of his soul. That's true, man. Um, Mm -hmm. Did y'all watch the Oscars last year? No. Did you, Mike? I know when we worked together, we would talk about Oscar stuff, but I don't know if you still are interested. Yeah, I did watch it. Yeah, I did watch it. (laughs) Well, Zach and Shia were in a controversy because um, they together presented the award for the the best live action short film. Uh Uh-huh. And Zach was going to do a big bulk of the uh, presenting, the speaking part of that. And it, it, it appeared that Zach kind of got caught up in the moment and was looking at the bright lights. And so Shia kind of hustled him through. And I remember watching it being like, I think he's a, little, he's a little annoyed with Zach here or whatever. But it became a huge thing immediately that... That Shia LaBeouf had disrespected Zach and was mean to him. And so kind of following that story, I came across this piece where Zach's mom, Shelly, spoke to the issue. And I'm going to read it in because I think it's a pretty incredible story. Uh, she said there's no truth whatsoever to the idea that, that Shia was being mean to Zach, but that they had a very real friendship. She said uh, she told a, a website called 2Fab, Shia is just wonderful. You know, we really love him. If anything, I think they were uh, grinning at each other because it was hard to get the envelope open. And she went on and said, we just love Shia and the respect that Shia and Zach have for each other is beautiful. Their friendship is really, really beautiful. And, you know, it just upsets me when I thought that somebody was thinking that Shia could have ever had a kind of negative attitude because he's been nothing, nothing, nothing but supportive. Uh, She went on to say they're very tight. They love each other. They really encourage each other. Shia's been very supportive of Zach as an actor uh, and his professionalism. He'll really seek out opportunities for Zach and did uh, a lot with promoting the movie, which I, uh, that's not really his thing to do promotion. But he did it for Zach. And so, I mean, I, I guess I'm a sucker for a happy story. But the idea that these two guys actually became friends, playing friends in a movie warms the warms the old heart here.
1: Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah, and I'd read some some things as well. I saw that same thing about his mom, you know, saying, I don't want anybody to think that, cause he's been great. You know, when uh, um, Shia LaBeouf came out, you know, he had some, obviously he's had some embarrassing incidents over time, but, um, you know, he's arrested a couple of times, I think, and stuff like that. Um, but he came out and said a couple of times uh, in some interviews, I think when the movie came out, um, that – Uh, that he thought Zach like helped him recover and Mm. to like get normal again. Um, and he said, like, I I can't remember, I was trying to find it here where I'd read, but, um, he said like, he was really struggling. Couldn't even hardly like look anybody in the eye. He was like really lonely. And he said, Zach, like came up and put his arm around him and like cared for him and (laughs) showed him like genuine empathy, which, you know, a lot of other people, they would see it like, Oh, he's the biggest actor on this movie. And he wants to be alone. Just leave him alone. You know, but I'm sure Zach was like, "Uh, I don't care. You know, he doesn't care who he is. Um, And he said, uh, Oh yeah, here it is. He said that Zach nursed me back on a boat during a scene when we're talking about our painful past and that stuff hurts. Um And so anyway, I, I think it seems pretty, pretty genuine, you know, uh, the friendship there and all that, which is kind of another cool thing about it.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it that's a story not unlike what we see in the film, right? That in this case, art is imitating real life or maybe maybe real life is is imitating art.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's cool. I, I mean, I'm sure we could. We could say more good stuff and maybe we even will, but I'll move on though and say, is there anything, is there anything bad about this movie? Like we talk about seeing evidence of the fall and I think the story, you know, it acknowledges we live in a fallen world, but I don't see a lot of idols to be tipped here. Uh, Am I wrong, gentlemen? Uh, Mike, you want to take that question first?
1: Uh, Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think there's one part that kind of when I rewatched it and I was thinking about it for you know, for us to be able to talk about it. So I was kind of trying specifically to look for, it. I didn't even notice it as much the first time I watched it. Um, but, you know, we've all talked about our favorite scenes. Probably the most poignant scene is when they're sitting around a fire, you know, at night. And that's when Zach gets his wrestling persona um, that he takes on, you know, and, and they dress him up in leaves and, and dirt and ashes and stuff and kind of you know and he's of course he's been drinking um, and so he starts talking about being a wrestler and and he says he's a he's a wrestler and he says he's a bad guy I don't know if y'all remember that yeah. but he says I'm a bad guy wrestler and Tyler asking why he's a bad guy and he says because my family left me mm. um, and so obviously he's in pain over that and Tyler's like well you know that doesn't make you a bad guy um, and so this would be one of those scenes that people would say, oh, this is like the most heartfelt, true scene. But then it, it flips um, in a spiritual sense because Tyler says, you're not a bad guy. That doesn't make you a bad guy. It's about what's in your heart. Oh, yeah. Um, And so he tells Zach, he's like, you know, you're a hero. Um, And Zach's like, I can't be a hero. I have Down syndrome, you know. And so it's, it's a great moment on a human, like personal level that he's encouraging him, telling him the good things about him. It's an emotional scene. Uh, but the, the whole thing, you know, obviously of whether you're a good guy or a bad guy, he's Zach's looking at his circumstances and saying, Those make me bad. Shy is saying, Well, no, look at your heart, that's what makes you good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really the opposite. You know, our our hearts and our um sinful desires are what make us quote unquote bad. Um, and it's the you know, the outside work obviously of God that can make us good uh, in in his eyes. But we all do that. You know, we talk, you've heard, we've all said it a thousand times as pastors, you know, that, um, You can't look to your family situation. You can't look to whether your parents were in church or your grandfather was a pastor. You can't look at how other people view you and say that you're good enough. Um, You can't look at your talents. Um, You know, so people would say the antidote is to look to your heart, um, look inside yourself Um, But of course, we know the gospel tells us that when we look inside ourselves, we'll just find the root of the problem um, instead of finding goodness. And so I understand they're trying to make him feel better. And I don't think there's anything wrong with encouraging him. But obviously the antidote to feeling worthless and and the. you know, to find our purpose in life is to find, you know, a value, uh, the value of a relationship with God uh, instead and salvation and forgiveness and all that stuff that's outside ourselves. So, um, you know, I don't it doesn't take anything away from the scene. I think it's a, still a great scene. But when you're looking at it in context of the gospel, like Jared mentioned earlier about something else, so many of these things, we see them and see them and see them. And then it just permeates who we are and then we believe it. And then it becomes our theology, you know. and so. Um, a lot of Christians would say, well, it, as long as he's a good person, as long as it's what's what's in his heart that really matters and his intentions. And, you know, and that's not seeing the, the problem for what it is, really. But
0: and that's so well said, Mike. I, I didn't even have that really on my radar uh, when you started talking about it. I remembered exactly what you're talking about, but I had just blown right past that. Uh, thanks for bringing that up. Jared, anything you'd add or, or contribute on that? No, no. I mean, I, I
2: lean towards they, that there's redemption by the end, um, that even that scene, um, with the, the Christian man that that's all pointing to this reconciliation that's going to happen. Um, I mean, you know, that, that scene, I, I assume, I assume there's some significance to it, you know, um, why even bring Christianity into it at all? Yeah. Um, and so I assume that there's, that this is more than just a a character or something humorous but um but that there's there's an emphasis there's kind of a trajectory of redemption hmm. um that's playing out and we're getting to live it and witness it and and uh i knew <laughs> i knew they had to live in the end you know
0: um, yeah right because of the of the journey yeah
1: but I was a little nervous. <laughs> so, yeah. I, hey, we were too, man. We thought the same thing. We were like, oh, man, because movies have ended that way. And this movie was tracking that it could have ended that way. You know, and I thought if that's the end, yeah. you know. Um, but I think speaking of you talk about what it got wrong. But really, I guess another thing that it got right was that in the end we are happiest when we're how God designed us to be, which is in relationship with him and in relationship with other people. You know, God doesn't want anybody to not have a father, to not have a mother, to not have relation, you know, relationships, although, you know, celibacy for men or women, you know, that choose that. um, Although a tough road is obviously valued. Paul talked about it, you know, but I'm just saying that God, designed us. He said, it's not good that man's alone. And you can see that joy when the three of them are kind of together. And you see that like new found family that they're going to have going forward. And they, they all seem to be, and there's no plans or talk of like, well, we could live here and we have this job and how are we going to make money? They're just, they're together and that's what matters. And I, I thought that was kind of a Uh, an important part to the movie. I would have hated if it wouldn't have been there. Like you said, Mm -hmm. I kept telling my wife at the, from the
2: beginning that Zach's going to die. Zach's going to die. And I thought, Oh no, Tyler's (laughs) going to die. Yeah. Thankfully nobody died.
0: Yeah. Um, well on that front, it's not, it's not a bad thing about the movie. Uh, The closest thing to it being a weakness is just the, um, the reality of Tyler's responsibility for his brother's death. And, you know, John Barenthal is presented in those flashbacks as the best big brother ever, which, Mm -hmm. you know, a a younger brother mourning, that's going to be how he thinks about his brother that, you know, he fell asleep and had a wreck that killed him. But I, I guess I appreciated that Tyler in this movie is not just a malcontent or someone who's, um, A loser, but that like he has actually done some significant stuff and those ghosts are haunting him. And so when he goes to sleep, he sees spending a night with his brother, having too much to drink and then having a wreck. You know what I mean? Like this guy isn't um, he's not a simplistic character in that, you know, he's not um, I'm I'm struggling. It's not one of these deals where. What he's done and what he's troubled by, nobody in real life would actually be troubled by. You know, he failed to save the kid running across the road when he should have. Where you're like, well, I mean, yeah, that would have been great if you could have, but that's not a failure on your part. You just weren't fast enough. Like, he got drunk and yeah. killed his brother, and it matters. Right, he's got real demons, not yeah. not like manufactured demons. Yes, yes. Uh, so I think it. that's what I mean by, like, this movie acknowledges there's a fallen world, and in the fallen world are choices... Have consequence and they can carry real, real weight uh, when we when we get them wrong. So I, I I think it was a strong part of the movie that it acknowledged our fallen world. Yeah. And, you know, we didn't even mention that the entire
1: fact that they had to walk on foot through corn and cotton and sugar fields and all this stuff and had to go out on the water and a homemade rafts because he had to avoid the main roads because the cops were looking for him because he'd burned down the dock, you know? So even, even at the beginning of the movie, he, I mean, the whole movie basically and the culmination at the end is because of another bad decision that he's made, you know? So, um, definitely (laughs) when they're in the truck and the guy, is uh, telling him like, yeah, somebody burned down the whole dock, you know, when he's hitchhiking. He's like, oh really? Whole dock, huh? you know, he, yeah. he realizes right then that it went way worse than he thought. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to get out up here. I'm just going to go ahead and get out. I forgot something back there. Just go ahead and let me out, you know? Uh, but yeah, that the whole like arc of the movie is affected by nobody else knows it, but that Tyler knows they're, they're after him, you know, in multiple ways. Uh, the law's after him and those guys that he burned their stuffs after him. So.
0: Yeah, there's, you know, there's that scene I already referenced where Yellow Wolf and the the other guy who's with him. Uh, I know you guys are big Yellow Wolf fans. Jared, I know you got his last single. Um, <laughs> when they finally tracked him. I don't
1: even him. know what you're talking about.
0: So the super <laughs> tatted is. up dude, the, you know, like the one of the bad guys who's the hunter, but he's super covered in oh. tattoos. He is a yeah. southern rapper named Yellow Wolf. Uh-huh. Um, and Jared's how, did, how did I not know this? Yeah. Yeah, well, hang out with Jared more. See any good? It's basically Rihanna and Yellow Wolf. That's all he listens to.
2: (laughs) I've never even heard of Yellow Wolf. Country (laughs) rap
0: sounds like. Did you notice he did not deny the uh, Rihanna comment? He just denied the Yellow Wolf one? Uh, So anyway, when those guys. I can sing. (laughs) Okay, bud. Okay, man. (laughs) When they track him down. I mean, these guys are obviously scumbags. They're going to kill him you know, uh, they're going to carry out revenge. So it's not that good guys, but they say to Tyler before they hop back in their boat, they say, do you think you're the only one who has problems or something like that? And I'm like, that's a real indictment of Tyler. Tyler is pretty narcissistic. And I just, I think it's good storytelling. I thought it rounded out characters and conflict really well. Um, Yeah. I mean,
2: it, uh, I don't know, man. I think this. I don't know Tyler. they all they all needed each other and they weren't looking for each other. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just a it's a I don't know. The answer to their problems is kind of right in front of them. And uh, they're searching. I mean, you know, Zach really didn't need to be a wrestler. He needed needed a family that loved him, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, Tyler, you know, he didn't need to get away from everybody. He actually needed a friend or needed to be a big brother and needed to kind of see his value. And then, um, Oh, I can't remember her name. Eleanor. Eleanor. She needed a family, you know, to care for someone to
0: nurture. Yeah. So I, that's a great transition into the redemptive nature of this film. And I think we've already been talking about it, that at least what seems obvious to me in terms of the gospel is that we were created to, uh, live for, uh, not for ourselves, but for someone else. And in, in this movie, there's this sort of diminished view of it because we're called to love our love the Lord with uh, all that we are and have. That's the highest calling. But then the second is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the real vision we get of that in this movie is Tyler and Eleanor coming to love uh, Zach and, and, and sort of mirror the way he loves as well. So it's like the it's the second version. There's not a lot of reference to loving the Lord your God, but there is definitely a an indication of the redemptive value of loving your your neighbor. And so that's what stands out pretty clear to me. I think you guys have rightly hit on the fact that, that a family is formed here, that uh, the institutional care that Zach was getting wasn't going to work. Tyler's lone wolf, mad at the world and ready to fight about it, wasn't going to work. Even Eleanor, as sort of this bureaucrat who's managing a whole bunch of people, that wasn't ultimately going to be. Fulfilling for her. They all needed a family and came together in a, in a kind of a hodgepodge way that that doesn't look all that different from the church being a group of people from every walk of life. Uh, what else do you guys see as as redemptive in this movie or maybe what you want to expound on?
2: It, it also looks like the, a nuclear family, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean,
0: that's
1: true.
2: Husband, wife, child. And um, I mean, that's Even something they're probably
1: all the same age. I think they're about the same age, but I felt the same way, Jared.
2: Uh, it, it's uh, I mean, it's, that's rare in movies today, you know? And, um, uh, I just, I mean, there's so much, there's so much to like about this movie, so much to like about the story and the characters being well-developed. And, um, and I, I'm similar with, with Michael that I, I enjoy those. It's kind of an odd coming of age story, you know, like the, cause Zach is almost like an adolescent,
0: you know, oh, or Tyler. I mean, Tyler yeah. is juvenile. He lashes out at the world rather than, you know, dealing with the consequences of his choices. He he takes a petty revenge. You know, it Mm -hmm. it's not just Zach that's juvenile. Maybe not mostly Zach that's juvenile. The the idea that you're gonna go become a professional wrestler isn't a whole lot more naive than thinking you can burn down somebody's livelihood and escape without consequence.
2: Yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah, and then the the journey, friends on a journey. I love like the Like I, uh, I told uh, Amber one of my favorite movies was Stand by Me, and and so I finally got her to watch it with me, and she was like, "You're going to see a dead body."
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know that's a Stephen King story. I know, I know. It's called The Body in Print. Yep. But I'm with you. (laughs) Give me a bunch of friends on a journey. That's why I love it. That's why I love Goonies. I, I I'm a sucker for those stories. What about Super 8? Super 8 8 is so
1: underappreciated. Yes, Mike Davis. Absolutely. The newer version. I think that's like the closest kind of almost Goonie-ish type movie. Uh, And I think he said he was inspired by Goonies. But, yeah, another example there.
0: Well said, sir. I love that stuff, man. Super underappreciated. Um, So what else? What else redemptive here? What else we want to highlight? Because I've got one other thing, but I don't want to monopolize the mic.
1: Well, I do think we see Eleanor. um, I see, I think her perspective, you know, changes some and she, at the beginning, I think she sees Zach, she cares for Zach, no doubt, but I think she sees it as like her job, you know, and I think then she sees that there's a different way to care about, you know, to care for Zach and to care about him, you know, namely letting him live. Mm -hmm. And although Tyler didn't always make the best decision, I mean, he, he, was two feet from being killed by a shrimp boat. So, um, you know, that necessarily wasn't the best decision, but I think she showed growth too in seeing, uh, seeing beyond his disability. Um, I think she was kind of fixated on his disability and not thinking that, you know, kind of forgetting that he's a a person. I mean, she's, every chance she gets, it's about what he needs. And, you know, when, when she's out looking for him, she's like, this kid's going to die out here. And, Mm-hmm. He can't make it on his own. He can't care for himself, you know, and all these, which some of that may have been true, but I think in the end, you know, she doesn't have that viewpoint of him any longer. And she's seen him more for the person that he can be rather than just like, a-
0: mm-hmm. I thought that the, the the point that Jared made about how rare it is to see the nuclear family presented this way was really strong in that, <laughs> I'm going to tread very carefully here because this is culturally dangerous waters, but that maternal love is not the only kind of love a human needs to thrive. Mm -hmm. That nurturing can become constricting. And I think you're getting at this too, Mike, that, you know, it's not like we needed a full flip over to just paternal love and take risks and do bold things. Cause you know, she shows up for the first time. She's like, he needs medicine. Um, And I'm sure he does. Like, if he's out eating peanut butter all day and drinking beer, he's going to be diabetic and he's going to be in trouble. But, you know, the maternal care of the nursing home wasn't going to work either. It was too cloying and restrictive. There there did need to be both a a father and a mother involved in his life for him to really thrive. And I I was not expecting to see that. Again, I don't know how much the writers were self-consciously doing that, but I think they're getting at some stuff that... Our, our culture would like to deny, you know, they, it would like to deny that men and women aren't basically interchangeable, that any family is as good as any other family. Moms and dads are interchangeable, replaceable or discardable. And this movie ends up kind of getting around to like, no, nah, that's not really true now, is it? And I appreciated that. Can I, it. Can I uh, Jeff, that just
2: jogged my memory just briefly. Um, sure, man. Go for it. it. The, the other night when I was on, I went on Presby cast. Um, to talk about revoice. And there was a guy there named Chris who actually incognito attended the first revoice conference. And he said he went to, they had one, one breakout session thing there um, that was not advertised that was taught by Becca Mason. And she was arguing against the nuclear family and she was encouraging um, the gay men and women there to work towards adopting children where they can have many mothers and many fathers. And Ooh. um it just blew my mind that, that that was something that they sanctioned and advocated. And um and this movie, you're exactly right, flies in the face of that mentality. But that that mentality is is getting fast into the church. I mean, we're I, I can't remember where I saw it, but I think we're at one of the lowest marriage rates that we've ever had um in America. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah, And I mean, people are, you know, a lot of our generation and younger, you know, before it was kind of like society, I think, looked down more on people not being married, you know, so I think a lot of people got married that really didn't want to. They felt like it was the next logical step and kind of like what you do and. I don't think it's necessarily related to God's design or anything for a lot of people. Um, but now the society's like, I ah, do whatever, who cares, you know, whatever you want to do. I think people are saying, no, I mean, we'll be together. We're just, we're not going to be married. You know I mean? Why we can enjoy all the same benefits. And then if we choose to walk away, we'll just walk away. Right. Um, and it's a very selfish attitude really. But yeah, absolutely. We see that for sure. It's a, a I think it's growing more. And I don't know the stats, but it seems to be growing more and more in that direction.
2: Well, a big, a big emphasis of, of revoice is that the church has idolized the nuclear family Godly. and they don't they don't treat uh, we don't treat singles right we've uh, alienated gays we've I mean it's just it just blows my mind because when you look at the Bible <laughs> you know, I mean you go back to the design go back to
1: Genesis. Um, and I mean, it just the father, the son. Uh, I mean, how many uh, illustrations and uh, are there about father, children, marriage, the bride, the church, the bridegroom? I mean, adoption. Wow. I mean,
0: yeah. yeah. And talk about telling a culture that's thirsting to death that they're idolizing water. I mean, yeah. Good night. that, that you know that's my beef with. Matthew Lee Anderson and some of you know the the pretty middle aged things of the of the reform community. Now they they find whatever the world really wants to be true, and they come in and tell Christians how this is a Christian thing. Like Christians should be really into this. And if anything, the church has failed to fight hard enough for the central importance of the nuclear family. It it, it couldn't be further from the truth that we've idolized it, uh, and we're reaping the harvest of not of not treating it as the essential and unique good that it is that that gets under my skin pretty, pretty quickly.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm glad and this movie th- doesn't make the same foolish choice. Well, I mean, the, you know what the number one complaint of these, you, you want
2: to know why all these people are fi- are flocking to revoice. They're lonely.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. They're lonely. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got a whole world of people who think marriage is optional Kids are either optional as like a a lifestyle accessory or they are an inconvenience and a hindrance to your career. Everything's about having that advanced career and making money. And then lo and behold, you get to 35, somewhere between 35 and 45, and you're super lonely. And then, you know, when you're 55 and 65, you're crushed by loneliness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the problem is the nuclear family. That's it would be comical if it wasn't so dangerous.
1: Well, I think, uh, you know, to be not to I completely agree with you guys, but we need to have grace towards people that, you know, obviously can't have children to people that we're not able to find that person that they wanted to marry, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's rare, but it does happen. I know some great, great people that just never, you know, never got there for one reason or another. Um, you know, and, and and for people that are struggling, you know, struggle with the sin of homosexuality, and they, you know, their answer is not necessarily to just get married um, if they're battling that and struggling. So I think there's there's grace in all that. Although it would be good for them to eventually, you know, be married and be with the opposite sex is God's design. But I'm just saying, I I think there's some grace for that, and we don't want to be like, you know, you can't be a Christian if you're not if you don't have children or if you don't have, but. God's design is it's not good that man is alone. God's design is to be fruitful and multiply. These are things that he told us before the fall. Mm-hmm. So, you know, God's perfect design is for those things to happen. Um, and so while there's there's times it cannot happen, I think God still glorified for sure. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's any question that that is God's ultimate design and what brings glory to God. So. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a good point.
2: it's a good thing to tell people to to work towards that. Like, yeah, like work they're, hard they're, at getting that, pursuing it. You know? Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of men sitting around playing video games with zero ambition. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm not against video games. I mean, I play with my kids, but um, who need to get off their butt and go 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 be pursuing a spouse?
0: Like, yes, I I just want to say too to avoid the easy stereotype there. There's also a lot of guys who are building real estate portfolios and guys who are stacking advanced degrees on their wall who are are doing the same kind of avoidance that Mm -hmm. the, the guy who's super into Call of Duty is doing. It just looks more impressive according to a worldly standard of evaluation.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point.
1: I don't know, man. Some of these professional Call of Duty players are making millions of dollars a year that's now. True. So <laughs> that's true. You got to you got to reevaluate your whole that's true. Whole viewpoint there, your worldview.
0: Yeah. As long as they're having babies, I'm cool with it. Um, I I do think Mike, to your point, it is you know the same God said. It's not good for man to be alone and that singleness is a gift. Both of those are in the word and the church does have to have that has to be part of her ministry. But I'll also just say this. I think in large part, one of the ways the church can serve the single person is by helping connect them with nuclear families until God chooses to give them one or to help care for them if God has not chosen to give them one. Um, Ed, Ed Shaw... I think has went on to say some stuff that I can't endorse and make me worry about his thinking. But Ed Shaw is a British pastor who is same sex attracted and understands that to be a call to live celibately. Now I think he should pursue a wife. Um, But that, that was his position when he wrote a book called the plausibility problem a few years ago. And one of the things that really struck me from, from that book is Ed Shaw saying I I don't worry about not getting to have sex. I worry about being alone and lonely. And he says, I have dreams and ambitions. I'd love to tuck a child into bed and read my son a bedtime story and, you know, like play catch with him, teach him to throw a baseball.
2: My goodness.
0: And so Ed said in that book, that one of the things the church had done for him is let him be a kind of uncle to different kids in the in the in the church, and to uh, to be with families where some of those things he can participate in. Like he talks about one couple who, uh, you know, he's been at their house when it was a bedtime story, and he got to read the bedtime story before they went and tucked the kid in and stuff. And I thought there's a whole bunch of stuff that I would modify in Ed Shaw's story. But, I do think he's on to something that we can offer singles in the church,
1: yeah, and you know he's different to if, if I don't know him, but I'm just saying I think people confuse too, like a gift of singleness like you're talking about is not what we're talking about. We're sure. not saying someone that's chosen. You know, specifically, purposely to be single in order to whatever focus on ministry or um, because they struggle with that sin or whatever. You know, a lot of what we're talking about is people just saying. I mean, they're they're not single. They're with they're with women. They're you know they're dating. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. hooking up. They're whatever. You know, they're just saying I'm not going to commit. To anything you know I'm not going to commit to this design I'm just going to use it for what it gives me and then move on from it so I think that's a big difference you know we're not condemning people that have chosen singleness for sure I think it's uh it's the idea that um, that those things are just there to serve me and what I need, and then I'll move on from them
0: yeah, I mean even to jared's previous comments about revoice uh, in that one of the twisted elements of that theology is that. Singleness becomes the means of serving their homosexual lusts. Well, you know, I can't have the the kind of sex I want with the the person I want, so I guess I'm just going to be a single. And look how sacrificial I'm being. And you like, you know, that's, uh that's pretty far from the truth, there, Budro. It is, and they compare themselves to to eunuchs in the Bible.
2: But when you oh, look gosh. at you, eun- when you look at eunuchs in the Bible, it's people who can't. Produce like yeah. it's people who from birth who it's not people who
0: can but choose not to or had so, it imposed upon them from outside. Like if you're going to be the harem keeper, they yeah. made you a eunuch. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, and
2: uh, but I mean, it, if you go back to some of the ancient Near East, though, when they they did use the language eunuch to refer to homosexuals sometimes, and so they try to uh, obviously context in the Bible that is never what the Bible is talking about. Never.
0: Well, I know that I have seen in like articles in the Atlantic and whatnot, where there's this idea, it's sort of the codifying of despising families and children where uh, people who are intentionally childless call couples with children breeders. And I'll just 100% tell you, I know it's salty of me, but I'm completely comfortable with going to, you know, the intentionally childless, the person Mike's talking about, who says I've got, The opportunity, but I'm choosing not to do it and returning to the language of barrenness, because I'll just tell you, if I didn't have my kids um, having now uh, understood what it's like to be a dad, I would feel like my life was much more barren. And if you are choosing to not have kids because you need your 401k to be fatter or whatnot, maybe a term like barren would help you reframe uh, this issue in your mind. So Jeff, the uh, Jeff, the provocateur. Just happy to go back to that terminology. Oh, yeah. And I, I
2: think this movie, I mean, this movie helps with that reality, right? Like, the, this, these people are all better together. Like, it's yeah. not just the family that, you know, is better, but that each individual person is better. And I, I think, I mean, I'm a better person because of my kids. You know, I'm a better, I'm a, I am a believe I'm a godlier man because of my children. Like, they, God uses them often to help sanctify me. And, uh, I mean, there's just so much there, you know, it's a good, I mean, it's definitely good. I don't know anybody who, You it's anecdotal, but I don't know anybody who's worse off because of their kids. Like,
0: I remember you telling me years ago, Jared, that I would find out just how selfish I am when I had my kid, your son's older than mine. And you're like, you're going to find out just how selfish you are. And man, that has been true. It's been, I mean, it sounds abrasive, but it's so profitable. And, oh man, when you, when you're. Like Caden, you know, we
2: slept perfect before we had kids. Caden at three o'clock in the morning, man. Amber's exhausted, hands him to me. He's wide awake, newborn. And um, I'm just like, please go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Pleading with this little baby, please. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, all right, guys. So the last one to, to talk about here is glorification. We get just a small view of the, uh, the better world that's created here. So Tyler is clubbed over the head. You get this sense that he's probably dead. You see Zach and Eleanor driving a crappy car to Florida, which is where Zach wanted to go to make his new start. His new, not Zach, Tyler wanted to go to make his new start. And just when you think, oh, gosh, for real, Tyler's dead, his uh, battered hand reaches out and from the back seat and rests on Eleanor's shoulder, and she takes it. And we get to see him uh, battered and blue, but heart beating there in the back seat. And so anything else you see about the better world beyond that that closing scene of them? I
2: assume that's similar to how heaven's going to be, man, where um, I, I say similar we're going to all be brothers and sisters but it's going to be kind of a a misfit group i assume and uh and we're going to go but, to florida <laughs> maybe um but you know it, it's going to be this i don't know man we have we have a tendency to think that i try to tell people this you know that these relationships on earth are so important so essential like with our spouses and our children and but when we when we get to heaven We're no longer going to have these spouses, or no longer have these children, but we're going to inherit. I mean, I believe we'll still know, right? I believe we'll still know who was our. You're crushing everyone right
1: now, (laughs) Jerry. Crushing, crushing the hopes and dreams of everyone.
2: We'll know, um, you know. I'll know Amber was my wife, and I'll know my children. But um, we inherit what we inherit concerning. A family, um, I think it's actually a promotion. I think we think we're close to our children. You know, we think we really love them. We think we love our spouses all the way that we should. Um, but I think all of that is magnified in the new heavens and new earth. I think all of that is because there's no sin there. There's no selfishness there. There's no, um, and there's a unity there that is not present here. I mean, it's present here, but it's sin. This is still a sin tainted. A cursed world, cursed creation, and so what? What we see there at the end of these three people from different walks of life coming together and being a family, um, you know, I think that's that's a little bit of a picture of of heaven. You know, people who we don't know on earth coming together and and uh, living eternally as brothers and sisters in Christ and and a magnified family, family not tainted by sin at all. Yeah, I don't mean to crush you. I mean uh, these relationships. You love your. Your families to death, but there's an even greater was, family coming.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was kidding you, but I, I think you hit on a good point there. And I think we, you know, part of the reason people are always looking to heaven, and, and we always want to think about what what it will be like, and we just take everything that we have here. And the best of what we have here. And then we try to translate it. I think that's why people so much want to believe that, you know, like I'll go to heaven. It'll just be me and me and my wife and my two kids living in our heaven house um, <laughs> you know, right next to my family. You know, I mean, I, I think people think that because I, and I don't mean this in a minute, but I think sometimes it's because we're short sighted because all we can think about is what's good here and I just, I tend to think, I don't know how everything will be. I don't know how it all work out. I mean, obviously we have some in the scripture, but we don't have like a ton of detail on all these things. You know, we know like David will know who his son is, for example, people always point to that. But, but at the same time, I, I always just tend to say to people, I don't think we'll care. And I don't mean that in a crass sense, but I'm like, when you're in the presence of Of the perfect holiness of God for eternity, when Jesus replaces the sun's light, I don't think we'll be like, "Where's my third cousin? Why is he not here with me?" You know, why why are we not in our (laughs) our our heaven home to our heaven house together? That's a new thing. I'm I'm tweeting heaven house right now. It's a mansion. It's a mansion. Uh, But anyway, but you, you see what I'm saying? Like I think all we can think about, because we're humans, our minds are feeble, and is. What I have here and it's a little better, but I think it's going to, it's just going to be so overwhelmingly, you know, about God. If it's perfect, it's got to be about God, right? Not about us. So I think... I don't know. And, you know, again, I don't have some great theology or a bunch of scriptures to back that up or something, neither do they, but I'm just saying, I think sometimes we get so into, you know, what, what that will be like. um, And I I don't, I don't think that it will, the things we think matter now, I don't think will matter as much when, when we're in the presence of God for eternity. So there you go. It's my little take on that.
0: The only tweak I'm going to throw into the hopper is that, I think the vision of Christian parenting and and really in a lot of ways being a husband is that these relationships on earth give me a leg up on enjoying these people in eternity. I'm I'm raising sons and daughters, hopefully who I will be great friends with in eternity. And so I do think there's this sense in which these relationships are in extra dignity is added to them by eternity. That, the 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 opportunity I have to kind of give them a profitable encouragement towards the 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 heavenly society is a good one, and I'm thankful that when I show up to eternity, I'll get to find Christy not as my wife anymore, but hopefully my wife is my friend, and you know someone who I have a I have decades worth of friendship, and say I'm really excited that we get to experience heaven together, even as we meet all these brothers and sisters and enjoy them for eternity. I do think there's a dignity that comes with, you know, if everything goes the way everyone's hoping and that we trust the Lord is working, w- the significance of our relationships on earth will carry over into eternity. I do plan, however, to pretend like I don't know you in heaven, Jared, just so you <laughs> get ready for that. Dude, you'll be so
2: close to the throne and me so far away. I'd oh each other.
0: man, I just set you up for that humble pie. That's, <laughs> Oh, my goodness. You really turned that on (laughs) me super well, dude. Tip of the cap to you, sir. I'll
2: be like, Jeff, Jeff.
0: And I'll be like, can y'all hear? I I thought I had perfect hearing. I can't hear. (laughs) Oh, my
1: goodness. Yeah, and I can't disagree with you, Jeff, and I can't prove you wrong for sure. I'm just saying, you know, there's still, even if I don't know my children in heaven, which I think I probably will based on the information we know from the scriptures, but if I don't know them, there's still a joy That, you know, I was able to, like you said, hopefully and God willing, lead them towards the Lord, you know, and I I just imagine like if you're at, you know, Disney World and your kids are out running around and they're having fun somewhere and. You know, you may not know where they're at. You know that they're there and they're having fun, you know what I'm saying, or that they're blessed. And so I think even if we didn't, um, but I just I think it's just hard because we're human and we just want to hold on to those things. It just makes us feel better to think that everything we have here, we won't lose any of it, but we'll just add to it in heaven. Um, You know, I think that's the way we like to look at it. So uh, but anyway, I'll let Jared be the bad guy and tear all that down for everybody. (laughs)
2: Yeah, if you need ever need anything, ever need any bubbles burst, just
0: let me know.
1: Well, but I, I think this f- all goes back to our our <laughs> idolizing of the nuclear family, don't mm, you think, David? Yeah,
0: we should repent, guys, and have a good cuddle session. <laughs> what bizarre times we live in, man! What bizarre times is, we live in.
2: I feel like every day I wake up in the twilight zone. Twitter
0: is the twilight zone of evangelicalism, for sure. Stay local, man. There's normal people local.
2: That is true.
0: I, yeah, um, we are kind of a, f- a field from the movie now, though. So we've went through this pretty extensively, guys. Any stone left uncovered with the peanut butter falcon? Anything I don't, don't think so. Through? I love. it. Surely not. Like we're like an hour
1: longer than the movie right now. So sure that left <laughs>
0: that's now. what we do. That's what we do on pop culture corn dale, Mike D. That's what we do. Welcome to the family. Uh, All right. Well, um, we're going to put a bow on this and guys, I'm going to say, go see this movie listener. If you hadn't seen it and talk about it with your friends, your family, your loved ones, anything that stands out to you just real quick that you could use to uh, talk to someone who's not a believer about the gospel through this film or encourage a believer with, Uh, since I asked the question and it caught y'all cold, (laughs) I'll I'll go first on that. I do think that, (laughs) I think it's really useful to say to a lost person, if, if you're talking about this movie around the water cooler or the break room to say, yeah, I think there's a reason that we, that we love seeing a family come together because history is going that direction. Uh, history is about Jesus calling a family together. And uh, there's a reason that resonates so deeply with humans. It, it's not really rooted in evolutionary biology. It's rooted in God's story about his son
1: that's good, man. That that's is good. good. Oh, gosh, that's what I was going to say, but you spoke first. That's, <laughs> that's right.
0: I'm sorry. I, I tried to that's give right. you a moment. I thought <laughs> I'd left y'all stunned. So I, I, I
1: was just going to add that, you know, I think we can point out that life is valuable. You know, we discussed that, that all lives are valuable, that we're all image bearers That we're all, you know, created uh, by God, his greatest creation. Um, and so even though we talk about Tyler having his demons and being, you know, that shows, you know, we can look at him as like, man, he's a bad guy, but you know, we're all bad guys. Um, Even, you know, even Zach, uh, you know, we all have our sin and all have our issues and all need salvation. But I think that life is valuable and, you know, uh, Tyler's one that people probably would have thrown away. um, And he showed to have value. Zach is one that kind of was thrown away by his family. At least he showed to have value. And, you know, in our, society today we we were just talking about this earlier today and we were talking about a recent news story of a man dying and I just I kind of wasn't watching what I was saying in front of my seven year old I said you know and he died and my son said, oh, he died. The guy you're talking about died. And I said, yeah. And he said, oh, man, that's not good. I hate that. I hate that he died. And I said, yeah. And I, I just took the opportunity. I, I am not some great parent or something, but I just took the opportunity then for some reason it struck me. And I said, you know, I'm glad you reacted that way because we should always hate to hear when a life is lost. I said, because it is, you know, we are created for the glory of God. And I said, and there are times when a life lost is necessary. You know, and I gave him the example, I said, if someone were to come in this house and try to hurt you and try to hurt your mom and your brother, you know, when I had to defend you and that person were to die, I said, you know, that would be a tragedy. Um, it, I think, it, you know, sometimes we would be justified in doing that, but it's still a tragedy because a life mm-hmm. is lost. And I think our society, it gets so caught up in the, uh, these news stories we hear and whatever it is. I'm not trying to get into anything, but we get so caught up into what well, was it justifiable. Did he deserve it. What did he do with it? Mm-hmm. And there's no like pause to be like, man, someone died.
0: An like, image bearer, right? died here. A yes, bearer of the like, image of the Lord. Yeah.
1: Right. And we should grieve because they died. And then we can discuss whether who was justified or who's at fault or whatever else. But our first reaction should be like someone's son, even if they were doing wrong, you know, we're not defending them. We're just saying we grieve that someone's life was taken from them, you know. Um, And so I don't know. That was something in that my son kind of reacted that way and I was proud and I was like, don't lose that. Don't lose that you care when a life is lost and that your first thought is not like, well, did they deserve it? Yeah. Uh, You know, so.
0: Good word. Good word. Fellas, I'll, I'll put a bow on it unless there's anything else. Last call for comments on peanut butter Falcon. Going once, going twice. All right. Well, Dr. Jared Moore. Outside of the world of our podcast, where can the good listeners find you, buddy?
2: You can find me on Twitter at Jared H. Moore. You can find me on Facebook at All Truth is God's Truth. We've got another podcast, All Truth is God's Truth. Uh, check it out. And i um, got a book coming out in September called The Pop Culture Parent. And if you go to New Growth's website, um, you can actually download a free chapter of that book, uh, New Growth Press, and search for The Pop Culture Parent for a
0: free chapter and check it out. Mike D, what about you, man? People are going to want to find you. Where can they do so if they can?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm on Twitter as well. Who's your Mike? At Who's Mike? Hoosier is in the greatest state and greatest <laughs> basketball team uh, in the history, of man. Uh, but anyway, at Hoosier Mike is my uh, Twitter handle. I I am. You could say I'm not quite as active in social media as, say, Dr. Moore here. Um, I mean, I think that's a fair statement. But anyway, I am available. And uh, if you'd like to reach out and talk to me about your dislike of, you know, Jared or something, I'd be happy to engage in that.
0: Man, so it was who's your mic. I'll be DMing you later. Uh, yes. OK, well, guys, uh, listeners, I am at Right Jeff. If for some reason you want to connect with me and that's on almost any social media platform our podcast is the pc cd pod again on almost any social media platform we'd love to hear from you we'd love to connect with you we have a facebook group with a very long name but it's a great place to spend a little time online it is the perpetual after party and you can find a link to that on our facebook page uh, we'd love to hear from you. Love to talk about episodes, uh, stuff you're watching, any feedback or pushback you've got for us. Bring it on. We'd love to. We'd love to do that. We'd also appreciate reviews on wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you know, I think that it's become common to say that that reviews don't help with uh, exposure. As much as they once did, but everything I can see on the uh, on the metric side, uh, reviews still continue to, to push podcasts into new audiences. And so if uh, you could give us a review, we would greatly appreciate that. And also, if you find somebody uh, that you know is a believer, uh, they love movies, if you'd be willing to say, hey, give Pop Culture Quorum Deo a listen, we would greatly appreciate that. I think that's about it. We don't know yet what we're going to watch next time. But we will be back with you very soon. Until we do that, let me say again, Mike D., thanks for coming on, man. It's been a blast having you sit in on this. Maybe we uh, maybe we do some Indiana Jones sometime in the future.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll kill that with you. Uh, but, yes, uh, appreciate it. Thank you all for having me. Uh, it was uh, a really good time. I appreciate it.
0: Well, on that note, for Jared Moore and Michael Dickerson, I am Jeff Wright with the Pop Culture Quorum Dale Podcast, reminding you to live every moment as if you are before the face of God, because you are. We'll talk to you next time.